When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Grillin' JR with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Heavy on the Mr. Jim, how are you, sir? I'm good, Conrad. How are you today? Man, I am great, and I'm excited to be with you because we're doing something that you and I enjoy, but we don't get to do a lot. We're doing a watch-along from July 6, 1998. WCW fans will remember this is the famed Georgia Dome show where Hulk Hogan is going to square off and defend his world title against Goldberg in the main event. And it's going up against a pre-taped raw where the nation of domination would, uh, well, do a rather controversial skit. Actually, it was DX portraying the nation of domination and there's a brawl for all and so much other stuff, but this is sort of the height of the Monday night wars here. 1998. Is it not? Yeah, it was, uh, very competitive. Uh, a lot of good TV, you know, kind of like uh, Wednesday nights now with NXT and AEW. Uh, and so luckily on that deal, we're not going to lose 83 weeks in a row, but, uh, nonetheless, yeah, it was a, it was a good time to be a wrestling fan, but quite frankly, Conrad in our lives, when is not a good time to be a wrestling fan? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, I, I think now is, is just as fun as, as a time to be a wrestling fan as any, just because you have so much more access and you get great podcasts like this, and you can interact with Jr. on Twitter at Jr's BBQ. And we hope you're following us on Twitter because you've got an opportunity to ask questions here on the show. It's at Jr grilling, but without further ado, we want you to fire up your WWE network right now. Go to in ring, find WCW Monday nitro, select the year 1998 and scroll down until you see July 6th, 1998. And we're going to get busy, man. Two hours and 19 minutes of nitro. Uh, Jim, without further ado, you ready to get going, man? You fired up. I'm ready. I'm ready. Conrad. Let's get it. I've never seen this show. Obviously I was kind of busy that night. Uh, and, uh, I didn't make a habit of going back and watching the old nitros. Somebody may find that as egocentric. There was just a time thing. Where do you find two hours and six minutes extra to go watch more wrestling? You know, we had all we could say grace over in our, in our end of the world. So I've never seen this before. It should be fun. And, uh, let's, let's roll. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a countdown. I'm going to go three, two, one play. When I say play, you press play. I hope you've got your uh, network fired up. Turn it down to mute. JR and I will try to entertain you. Occasionally I'll yell track it and, uh, we'll play some audio and we are going to take some breaks along the way to, uh, to do uh, some commercials. So we apologize for that. If you want this full experience, sans commercials, join us over at adfreeshows.com and you get to play it all the way through with no stops, no breaks, no commercials over at adfreeshows.com. So Jim, without further ado, I'm ready. If you're ready, here we go. Three, two, one play. And we see the announcement from the prior thunder here. James J. Dillon standing at the base of the set with a double breasted Tony Schiavone. JJ Dillon has looked 52 his entire life. Has he not? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's timeless, ageless, and he still looks the same. Uh, his hair's a little whiter, but JJ still, uh, Always, always been a great asset to the pro wrestling business, a lifer, if you will. And I, I know a guy that when I got to WWE in 93, 
uh, was always there for me. He was always straight up. Uh, you know, we, we always got along well and that relationship started when he was dusty Rhodes right hand man, uh, in, uh, in Jim Crockett promotion. So it was always good to work with JJ never had a bad day with him. And he's a credit to our business without question. This is, uh, the biggest nitro in history at this point, of course, Bill Goldberg has caught fire. They're going to announce here on July 2nd, the prior Thursday, four days ahead of time that he is going to get a title shot against Hulk Hogan on nitro. Were you surprised that they made this announcement on thunder, which is very much the B show just four days ahead of time. This feels like a decision that they could have been criticized for a lot by sort of wrestling purists, you know, a for not doing it on pay-per-view, but B not even giving it a big runway. It's just four days ahead of time. Is this more a testament to hot shot booking or Turner's a television company, damn the torpedoes when it comes to pay-per-views. What'd you make of this decision? Well, it's all about the TV ratings and the competitive nature that uh, they were living in at that time. Traditionally, yeah, it would be a little premature to book that huge match. And, and traditionally you would save that match for pay-per-view. But again, when you're owned by a television company, uh, much like AEW is now, uh, the Bottom line, as old Stone Cold would say, is always about the ratings. So, uh, but a great crowd, you know, the, the Georgia Dome. I, I call the first uh, football game ever in the Georgia Dome back uh, in 92 when I was living in Atlanta and doing some work for the Falcons. So it's good to see that building full. It's good to see it full for any uh, wrestling event, no matter what the capacity is, to see the building packed. And of course, we miss that now, but uh, it was a, they put all the whistles and bells, all the great pyro. You know, it was a ballyhoo deal, man. It was, I look at it as good booking, <clears throat> quite frankly. Uh, you know, traditionally you can always make the argument, was it hot shotting or whatever, but look, they're looking for ratings. They're looking to be, continue to bury, uh, W W E at the time. So, uh, you know, I, I got no issues with that booking. I mean, look at the size of this crowd. It is, it is really impressive and, and a testament to the strength of the business as a whole, not just WCW and the nitro property specifically, but to get this many people out to see wrestling is quite a spectacle and, and great for everyone in the biz. Yeah. And of course the nitro girls are kicking it off like the, like a cheerleading, uh, squad and got the people excited. Nobody ever really complains. There's beautiful athletic women in the ring and either cheerleading as this, as we're seeing here, uh, a little dance routine or wrestling. And of course, boy, has that landscape changed since the 1998 where women are in the pro wrestling business. More women should be involved in pro wrestling in every area. It's not just an old good old boys network. It should never have been, but it was for decades and decades, but I thank God it's changed now. But so the nitro girls get there on camera. And now we go to the official announcer on camera, Larry Zabisco. Oh, hi, Larry. I had a run with Bruno and, uh, Tony Schiavone and oh, Mike Tanay. Mike Tanay's kind of fell off the face of the earth. It seems like I like the hell out of Mike and I hadn't heard from him in a long time. Look at how fucking high Tony Schiavone's chair is here. Is that not ridiculous? <laughs> yeah. He looks like he's six, four. <laughs> <laughs> I like that, uh, you know, we're, t we're making this feel like a special show. You know, we had the big crowd shot, the huge sweeping crowd shot. Uh, and then we uh, see the big pyro, we go back to the nitro girls, but now even when we go to the announce desk, you know, the guys are dressed up. They're not wearing golf shirts. Like you would a lot of times see from a Larry Zabisco, he's suited and booted and Tony Schiavone, our master of ceremonies, wearing a tuxedo and a cummerbund. It's, uh, 
<laughs> it's a special feel to a regular Monday night show, especially up against a taped draw. I mean, yep. I, I imagine on, on you guys side of the aisle, they'll have to be a little nervous knowing this is where they're doing the show. And that's what they're doing on the main event. And, and you can't really compete yet. You're still, you know, live one week, tape the next. Right. Yeah. The tape weeks are always vulnerable for us in that Monday night war situation, but, uh, you know, uh, it's called, called perseverance. You know, we maximize every minute that we could, we could continue to try to get new talent over. we got some guys, we get, we started getting some guys pretty hot too, Conrad. And, uh, you know, I, uh, so it was a very competitive situation, but yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful scene uh, to see pro wrestling have that big an attraction, uh, and the, and the crowd shots are just phenomenal. I like all those three sixteens in the crowd. We know who they were thinking about. Yes, we do. <laughs> well, there's Eric, our Monday night uh, warrior. And there's Hulk playing air guitar on his belt. Listen, let's talk about that. You and I haven't spent a ton of time talking about, you know, this version of Hulk Hogan, the bad guy who sort of led the NWO to the promised land for WCW. The business has never been hotter than at this point. Uh, not just for the WWF who are, who are now, you know, sort of turning things around in a major way since April, uh, the 83 week streak for nitro ended a few months prior to this, as we said in April, and now it's back and forth. Austin McMahon is hot for you guys. And the NWO is as hot as ever here in July of 98, but now there's a newcomer in Goldberg, but sort of the guy who's been the guiding force for this whole movement for the NWO and help take it to the next level, Hulk Hogan. And for years and years, he was the icon of wrestling for better or worse. If you ask someone in pop culture, just walk in the streets, name a pro wrestler, they'd probably come up with the name Hulk Hogan, but now the red and yellow has gone. Now he's a bad guy. Did you ever imagine a, you would see Hulk Hogan abandon the red and yellow and become a bad guy and B that it would take fire. Like it did. Well, I thought at, at the end of the day, it would be timely. Uh, I thought that probably it was going to be a, uh, a, a no brainer at some point if done correctly. Uh, he was a galvanizing figure, very polarizing to a lot of fans. So, uh, I wasn't shocked about it quite frankly, but it, and he did, and he did a good job. I mean, he, you know, Hulk worked all the territories over the early part of his career. So he understood the psychology, uh, and the difference that it takes to make a great baby face of which he was. And then subsequently to become a great villain, uh, which he did a hell of a job. The only thing I've ever thought about the NWO is that at some point, it seemed to me just as a fan, it started to become a little bit watered down right? because adding so many people to it. I thought, you know, uh, Hall and Nash and Hogan were plenty. And then everybody else started uh, getting the quote unquote rub. And I thought that was a little bit of a negative to the NWO, just my opinion. Uh, but, uh. You know, I, 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 but Hogan did a good job and, and Eric did a good job too. Eric was easy to dislike. And I say that in a, in a theatrical sense, he was very easy to dislike much like I used to say about Paul Heyman. I said, God almighty, you're easy to hate. And he looks at you incredulously and said, that's a compliment, by the way, you're a heel. So it, it all worked out well. This version of Hulk Hogan is uh, a box office draw and it's created in more recent years, especially on my shows, because I don't know that it ever really clicked for me that when Hogan was a baby face at his height in the mid to late eighties of the WWF, there was no one bigger, but then he comes behind it and just, you know, 
turns wrestling on its ear again when he becomes a bad guy with the black and white here. I don't know of many performers who did as good of a job as the baby face as they did as a heel and vice versa. It feels like almost everywhere else there is a preference. Like Ric Flair was both, but I preferred his heel work, and I think most would agree. And Sting, I guess, briefly was a heel, but everybody, you know, wants him to be a baby face and I don't know. What, what about you? Where do you land? Do you think anybody ever did both roles, both good guy and bad guy, as well as Hogan? Are there any other no, names that pop to your mind? Not at that level. Uh, not at that level. Because, you know, when you look at Hogan's run as a baby face, uh, it's, uh, it's extraordinary. Right. And, and no one as a pure baby face, as he was positioned at that time, uh, carrying the entire WWF on his back, uh, has done a better job of leading their company as, as the star than Hogan did. The only th- guy that comes to mind to me that rivals it were, was stone cold and the rock. And that's pretty good company. So, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I, I don't think anybody I've seen has done both as well as Hogan did. And, uh, so he, he was, a he, he just, he was perfect for this role. And boy, did he have a good tan Connor, That's That's the kind of tan you and I need. Yeah. See, Arn Anderson always says, remember this now. Our fat looks better brown than white. That is what he and, says. And oh, and and oh, Hulk was browner than a brown. I mean, he was he was tan, brother, brother. <laughs> yes, super tan is the move, and uh, we've even joked about that with Eric Bischoff quite a bit. Eric Bischoff here uh, performing the old Tony Schiavone role of human mic stand, uh, <laughs> which we saw him do quite a bit during the uh, Jim Crockett days. And then in the background, brother Bruda, has there ever been a guy who's, uh, I don't know. Can you make any other comparisons for the Ed Leslie Hulk Hogan relationship over the years? I can't think of one. Just buddies, you know, uh, uh Brutus was there to be Hulk's uh, valet in essence. It seemed like, you know, his man Friday, whatever you want to say respectfully. Uh, but yeah, I, I. Uh, Brutus Beefcake got a great rub from Hogan, obviously, and it helped, it, it helped enhance his bookings in, uh, WWE, WWF. And the old saying was, you know, when the guys got their booking sheets back in the day, uh, they all looked to see where Hulk was booked. And then they'd roll, scroll down to see if their name was under the, on that same card. And that was what they wanted because they knew tickets would be sold and they'd make more money. So I think Ed, Ed Leslie, AKA Brutus Beefcake did very well in that respect because you know, as a favor to Hulk, uh, you know, McMahon would book, uh, Brutus largely on Hogan's card. So it was a, it was a win-win for Brutus. Without question. We should also mention that during this promo, what Hogan is saying is, uh, the only way Goldberg stepping in the ring with me tonight is if he gets through another member of the NWO. And if he beats that guy, then he gets a shot, but only if so, sorry, all you fans who were thinking you were going to see me wrestle Goldberg, it's not happening. Because my stablemate here in the NWO is going to beat him and it's going to be a returning Scott Hall. So the, the story being over this three hour nitro, we're going to have to have Goldberg beat Scott Hall and go through Scott Hall in order to get to the big boss and the world title shot Hulk Hogan. What do you think? Yeah, of the, you, uh, the you had to, here? you had to, you had to beat, uh, you had to beat uh, Silvio Dante to get to Tony Soprano. You had to be one of the, one of the captains and, and of course, Scott was a big, huge star and, you know, I don't know the hall and Nash get enough credit for what they brought when they left WWE, when they, what they brought to WCW, 
you know, they, they put them, they really opened eyes to every, to the, to the whole W Atlanta scene. So, uh, yeah, I think, uh, there's a nice sign. Hogan fears Rogaine. Then you get all the Hogan impersonators, uh, with their bandanas and their peroxide mustaches and all that stuff. So they did a nice job of, of, uh, getting outside elements, fan comments like we're seeing here now, that type stuff. Uh, WCW did a real good, the production people did a great job of capturing the emotion that was ongoing at that time. And that's really what you're looking for. You're trying to, you know, especially in this era, the shows were so exciting with the big presentation, the big pyro and the crowd reactions and the signs. And just, I mean, there was excitement in the air in this era and you've got to find a way to translate that to the guy at home in his recliner. And that that's difficult, but I feel like to your point, WCW did a fine job of that. Just interviewing fans, which is a little thing, but it worked. And here we see another, uh, hallmark of the era, a merch commercial early in the program. And it's shot NWO style. So sort of black and white with all the different camera angles, uh, and pushing the Hulk Hogan t-shirt and look how different the world is here. Send a money order to this PO box in Birmingham. It's no longer just click, click on your phone and it's on the way. Yeah. <clears throat> so much easier now to shop online. And quite frankly, Conrad, during this virus, when you have a book come out that you worked two years on, you kind of start worrying about, well, what, what are we going to do when the bookstores are closed? Well, thank God we have, uh, we have social media and we have digital and all that stuff to, to keep things alive. Didn't have it back in those days. And of course, there's our old pal, Mean Gene. God, I loved him. Uh, and he's, uh, who's this cat he's interviewing? Some NASCAR guy? They're giving away a car here. Uh, the, I guess this was a, uh, oh, a Valvoline guy. Yeah. Some sort of little promotional thing that they were doing on the show to legitimately give away a race car. And, uh, obviously, Valvoline has been sponsoring WCW shit for as long as I was watching anyway. They sponsor replays and things like that. Sort of the same thing here, which is, uh, interesting to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just good. They, you know, those value added things just brought in more money. Uh, the Valvoline sponsorship was a big deal for, uh, WCW, obviously the big sponsor. They pay their bills, all that good stuff. So, uh, good value added for, uh, for WCW, uh, to go outside the box, bring in advertisers, bring in uh, promotional partners. And, uh, this is a good example, no better guy to, to hawk that, to talk about it, than mean Gene. And, uh, looks, he looks good there too. Meltzer would write, although an attendance figure of 39,919 was given on the broadcast when all is said and done, the actual number in the building was 41,412, which was a sellout for the configuration set up. And there were a few hundred fans turned away with 36,506 of them paying uh, $906,330, which destroyed the previous company record for Nitro in the same building back on January 6th when they had 26,773 fans with 23,058 paying. Really process what we're talking about here. They ran a Nitro in January and have 26,000 fans. And now just five months later, uh, or six months later, rather, here we are with 41,000 fans. The business continues to climb. I know a lot of people, myself included, maybe prefer the creative from 1997, but 1998, we are steadily getting bigger with every passing month. 
Yeah, the the talent kept getting over. The talent, more talent started getting over, being recognized as stars. Great example here. You're starting to show off with Dean Malenko and Booker T, uh, two Hall of Fame guys, and so uh, and they're finally getting their their recognition. They're finally getting their their spotlight. So uh, that process was just not unlike our process at that time. New guys kept getting over. A guy, you know, like. <clears throat> that was the era where triple H started getting over. Yeah. You know, a lot of guys just started to click and they started, they grabbed a hold of their audience and the audience, uh, reciprocated. So it's the same thing here. And now you've got, uh, Booker T and who looks great. And, uh, and, uh, it's hard to, it's, it's the Booker T looks so unique, uh, without his dreads, which we're grown accustomed to, but here, here he's got more of a traditional, uh, style, but, uh, Malenko, God, how good is Malenko? He's just anybody that works with Malenko got better. And I, and that's, I'm so happy that we have Dean on our staff at AEW as one of the coaches. He's an invaluable resource <clears throat> and, uh, very valued, quite frankly, you know, Dean's battling Parkinson's hadn't slowed him down a bit. He's he's a, he's a, he's at work and contributing. And it's always a pleasure to see him. He's probably one of the funniest guys behind the scenes of anybody I've ever known in the wrestling business. What a remarkable size difference too. I think maybe some of our listeners who haven't had an opportunity to meet Booker T in real life, uh, he is deceptively big and in, in, in a business filled with giants. I don't know that anybody ever thinks Booker T is a giant, but Booker T and Billy Gunn are two of the guys that stand out to me the most as people just sort of don't realize just how big these fellows are. I mean, they're probably what six, five, six, six. Yeah. Booker's probably six, four, five. Yeah. He's a. Uh... He's a rangy, long, very athletic. You know, I, I remember talking to Booker T before he went to the Hall of Fame about, uh, and, and, and but long before that, quite frankly, about <clears throat> sharing his real story of his past. And now he's reclaimed his life uh, after his prison stint. And, uh, he, and he included that and mentioned me in his Hall of Fame speech for giving him that motivation. Don't be ashamed of your past. None of us can change our past. We can only remember it, memorize it, whatever. We can't change it. And we also can't change the future. So today's the day. And Booker T has a great opportunity. Goes for a missile drop kick off the top, which the Malenko, uh, so expertly moved out of the way to avoid that contact. I could watch Dean Malenko and Booker T wrestle all day. There's an inside cradle counter. Malenko kicks out, but I could watch these guys wrestle all day long. I just, I just, uh, so much admire Booker's work and, and Dean. And what they contribute to our business, uh, it's, a, it's an honor to know both guys as well as I do. Meltzer would be pretty critical of the decision to, uh, to do this show, uh, this main event without it being on pay-per-view. And I mean, that's really going to dominate the discussion about this show for years and years. And I think it's so fascinating that right at the top of the show, you sort of get it, you know, I mean. Bischoff has always defended it saying, you don't understand. We weren't a traditional wrestling company. We were a television company. Turner is a television company and they own the programming. So our, our we're trying to serve television masters, not necessarily, sure. you know, draw grade on house shows and sell pay-per-views and sell merch. Yes. All of that matters, but they're all secondary to the television product. And right at the top of the show, you sort of got that. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. It's, it was, uh, that's why the classic champions were created ratings, right? There was a motivation to counter program, uh, McMahon's pay-per-views. We all know about that story. We've talked about that here, 
but uh, uh, bottom line, there's Chris Jericho interrupting these guys just like he did The Rock in Chicago when he made his debut. If Jericho's not the MVP of AEW, I don't know who is. Right. He, and he's always had amazing talent, and he's now interrupting the match verbally. So, uh, but yeah, I understand the, the, the clash was the same deal. Uh, for Turner, it wasn't about, as a matter of fact, they did not like the heat they got from the cable operators for trying to lessen the productivity of, uh, WWF pay-per-views, uh, even though uh, the WWF was coming after uh, us at that time, then WCW. So, uh, uh, I, I think that, uh, I think that this is a, I think this is this way it is. I mean, ratings is king. And when people say it's not about the ratings they're bullshitting you, it's always about the ratings. Well, there's somebody jacked up on diet Mountain Dew with a Coca-Cola t-shirt on or tank top. What a shot this is, uh, Bill Goldberg doing pushups with his feet on one chair and a hand on, on either chair, sort of suspending himself for some air pushups. Nice little shot. Uh, and, and what's fascinating to me is just, and we see a little promo here from Carl Malone. We should mention we're on the March to bash at the beach. We're fresh on the heels of what a lot of us just saw and relived a couple of months ago, the Chicago bulls, quote unquote, last dance, uh, the bulls would play the, uh, the jazz in the finals. And now as timing would have it, uh, not too terribly long after it's going to be Dennis Rodman and Carl Malone on pay-per-view with DDP and Hulk Hogan. There's just so much going on. I mean, speaking of 30 for 30s, just a couple of weeks ago, we saw the 30 for 30 about Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa and their March for the Roger Maris home run record also happening in this same era, 1998 and not too terribly long after Goldberg would, um, win the world title here. He would do a photo shoot with Mark McGuire and rub his, uh, and McGuire would rub his bat on Goldberg's chest. Afford anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. 1998 was a hell of a time, not just to be a wrestling fan, but a sports fan. Was it not? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, we're still talking about it. They're still making specials and documentaries about it. So uh, yeah, it was a, it was a huge time. No doubt. I thought that the more could have been made of the NBA connection of the rivalry between the bulls and the jazz, you know, uh, because, you know, I, I Carl Malone's a hell of a nice guy, really a nice guy. And, uh, has an affinity for driving big rigs at the, back in the day from Louisiana. He grew up as a huge mid South wrestling fan to Carl Malone growing up in the Northern Louisiana. So, uh, I always, when I met Carl here, there and yawn, he was always wanted to talk about that. And now we got the late Chris Canyon and, uh, and Raven, uh, trying to get something going here in a, in a match. Chris Canyon was a very talented guy. He's, I was talking to my friend, Raphael Morphy the other day, who just had a birthday not too long ago. And, he said, you know, he went to grammar school and high school with Canyon. Uh, they known each other all their life. And, uh, many of us were shocked when uh, Chris, uh, left us very, very early and, uh, not so much the fact that he came out as gay. You know, I, I think 
you know, I, I don't know. I had no issues with that at all. People got a right to live their life as long as they're doing it legally and ethically any way they want. So I never did understand uh, all that stuff. It, it made it too much was made about Chris Canyon being gay than the fact that Chris Canyon was a hell of a wrestler. And he was very fundamentally sound, innovative, and uh, had great passion. But the story about Chris Canyon's legacy should not be, oh yeah, he was gay. Come on. You got to have a better story than that. I, uh, I think about Canyon a lot because, you know, ultimately we know that, um, Canyon would take his life and, and, and pass away way too soon, way too young. But if he was around today, man, how much would he enjoy the style of wrestling today and some of the innovation and things like that from some of the guys you work with every week, like the young bucks or Kenny Omega, I feel like he would be an AEW cheerleader in a major way. I think so. Yeah. Uh, especially with his old schoolmate, Raphael Morphy there. Yeah. And, and a lot of guys that he knew, uh, he was very, Chris is very innovative. I think at this stage of his life, if he had been still with us, he'd been a real good coach, yep. teacher type thing, uh, agent, whatever you want to call them. Everybody's got a different word for coaches, agents, teachers, you know, producers, whatever hell, you know, I think that's <laughs> a little bit blown out of proportion too. <clears throat> but Canyon did, uh, he's working there with the Raven and Scotty Levy was a, he, he was a very underrated. Uh, I saw him that when we were still touring at pre a pre virus, I got a chance to see him in, uh, in Atlanta. I think it was Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, and he was, you know, as glib and very, very high IQ. Sometimes Scotty was just his own worst enemy. You know, I, I said this about myself before, you know, uh, given too much free time, I, I have been prone to make bad decisions. <laughs> and, 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 uh, I think the same thing could be said about Scotty. I didn't go to the, his extreme. So, uh, but nonetheless, very talented guy. And he had a chance to do really good work in WWE. Just didn't, at the end of the day, just didn't work out. I thought he would be a great broadcaster because like I said, he has a very high IQ. He processes information fast and accurately. A little suplex off the top through a chair, unbelievable yeah. spot. And here comes Perry Saturn, a former member of Raven's flock. Of course, these guys were old ECW running mates. Uh, Saturn was one half of the eliminators and here comes uh, Lodi and Lodi's going to take a big Taz style suplex there. What'd you think nice, of, uh, nice, that was the nice ability, belly to belly overhead. takes a lot of power to do that. And Saturn has strong legs and popped his hips real well. And then a death Valley driver. Now he's going to do a. Little, little fall away slam with the Raven. This match has gone to hell. <laughs> yes, Quite it frankly. has. And he's pulling out a, uh, a table and this does not look like a lot of the other wrestling tables. No. And it's the second match. Yeah. So you're using tables and gimmicks and run-ins on the second match that would, I would have a, uh, an issue with that. Uh, if I was going to critique this show, you, you kind of went to the gimmicks real early. And now, so are you going to say that nobody else the entire night? And I don't know this. Uh, is, is going to not use a table. So you're going to protect these guys. So are you really going to protect these guys? Or are you going to save the table spot for something higher up on the card? And obviously the choice is made to, uh, let them have their fun and, and, uh, and use the gimmicks. And what? so now Raven's on a table, Saturn's going up top. So we've seen this. It was a spectacular thing then, you know, and the table didn't break. No, that's a real table sign. That is not a gimmick table. So, uh, 
that kind of, that, that could not have felt good for Raven. No, no. He's selling well on the floor, but again, this is kind of a thing that got some criticisms, uh, for WCW at times on how they manage their matches and their shows where it seemed like to some folks and a lot, and I've t- been told this by guys that wrestled there that came to work for, for us later on that, uh, you know, that the time, the creative time was spent on the top guys. And here's a great example. So you got this match ongoing. You just saw a table spot. Now you got a black limo pulling up outside. And, uh, so we, we, we've left the match to do this, to, to well, do this. I think that was a DQ. And so now we're, what we're seeing is buff Bagwell's mom, uh, helping buff out of the limo while the limo driver pulls the wheelchair around and he's the buck buff in the uh, neck brace. As a reminder, this is a follow-up from a real life situation, uh, where buff was wrestling against the Steiner brothers live on thunder. And he went to take the top rope bulldog. His head slips out. His head would hit Steiner's back and he would lay motionless for several minutes, a very scary scene on a live thunder. And now in the middle of nitro, while there's a bunch of fans waiting for autographs in the back, uh, Judy is going to wheel buff in. And you had some interactions with uh, buff and Judy over the years. Did you know it? Not much. I mean, it, that's been blown out of proportion. Conrad, that's old news. You know, uh, we had a conversation on the phone once, you know, she was, I want, I want to talk to Mark, not to her and I'll do respect. I'd never met the lady. I didn't know her. I, I have no issues with her. It's just, I've made it clear that when Mark had something to talk about in his WWE run, as, as abbreviated as it was, he should just call me simple as that. That's how it went. But it, it became a, a story and it really wasn't a story. I got to tell you, I, uh, I loved the idea of trying when I was trying to put together a star cast of getting Judy Bagwell to that first star cast and getting a forklift and doing a Judy Bagwell on a pole photo op. That would have been tremendous, but it wasn't to be. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Tell me that wouldn't be a great photo of you standing you, underneath you, the forklift. Were you drunk when you thought that idea? No, I didn't make it happen though. Uh, overall though, this, this idea that we're seeing now and wow, uh, Mrs. Hickenbottom before she was Mrs. Hickenbottom whispers roll tight here. Um, they this, changed their attire too. You notice the wardrobe change. Yeah. They got more wardrobe changes than the, than JLo did here in 98. But talk to me about this concept, a cheerleading outfit, if you will. I mean, we see it for every other sports organization. Why not wrestling? That's probably the thinking. Over the years, WWE tried this a few different times, but never really stuck with it. Meanwhile, the nitro girls became a staple you for it against it. What'd you think? They had no problem with it. Uh, it was, it was different, uh, in a, in a sense that nobody else is doing it, uh, on that level yep. to that degree. And we think about demographics, uh, the primary target demographic for pro wrestling, uh, has long been, uh, males. 18 to 49, uh, they'll broken down to 18 to 34, that type of thing. So most young males like to look at beautiful women. I know they're exceptions to the rule. I get it. But bottom line is it was a, a situation where they knew that the young males were not going to turn the TV off. If all these hot chicks are dancing in their, in their, uh, in their attire and, uh, and none of them were flat chested. 
How about that? That's a, I just noticed that. <laughs> and neither was Tony Schiavone. He's back on camera. Tony even combed his hair for the show. I love that part of it. And this is in the era where Tony would shower once a week, whether he needed it or not. Well, you know, there's no sense in ruining your epidermis. I mean, you can't just keep rubbing and scrubbing. <laughs> ruining your epidermis. If that's not a t-shirt soon, <laughs> I, I don't know what we're doing over here. We should mention, by the way, uh, you've got a, a lot of tremendous shirts for sale that we don't talk about enough over at jimrawshirts.com. And if you haven't taken a look in a while, I highly recommend it. Uh, you said something a few, I guess it was a couple months now, uh, back on the pay-per-view for AEW, where you tapped Excalibur on the shoulder and you said, you've sold enough now. Good job. That's a t-shirt. Uh, I saw logs. That's also a t-shirt. The almighty push, uh, a caricature of a fat dog. And it says, uh, the junk food dog, just so many hilarious shirts over at Jim You know, uh, that push thing, you know, I got to have my push. You gotta get my push. It's all about the push. No, it's not idiot. It's about your work. Great work will overcome your lack of push because wrestling promoters are always looking for something new and good. So be it reinvent. That's the thing about Hogan. We talked about earlier, Hogan, uh, reinvented himself as a heel. He had the courage to get out of his comfort zone. He gave the courage to get out of it, wearing his yellow and red and go in the black, uh, attire and the NWO thing, the whole nine yards. He had courage to do that. So, uh, I, I appreciate people like that. I really do. But boy, you're getting a lot of Hogan on the show. Yeah. We're seeing a, a, a rewind from the prior nitro where Carl Malone is driving an 18 wheeler to nitro with a police escort. I, I, I don't know if that made sense, but that's exactly what's happening. There are eight cop cars escorting a giant 18 wheeler with the trailer behind it to, to nitro <laughs> to interrupt Hulk Hogan. And of course he's going to be met by the NWO, uh, and not just Virgil and, uh, and Brian Adams, but Scott Steiner and Bret Hart and the big giant. Show. Yeah. There's lots of, lots of big stars here, but they're all scared of the horn. And now we see DDP climb from the cab of the truck and he hands a chair, the weapon of choice. And you know, Jim, if you and I were ever in sort of a barroom brawl type situation, maybe somebody breaks into the house there in Oklahoma. I know mm. the first thing you're going to look for is a cookie sheet <laughs> or a folding chair, right? Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. I have folding chairs hidden in this house <laughs> right now. I have secret compartments where metal folding chairs are stored and by God, folks don't think I won't use it. Don't make me come out there. I'm just telling you, ladies and gentlemen, if you show up at Jr's house, he will obliterate you with cookie sheets, folding chairs, and just to make sure he knows you're dead leg slaps. The goddamn leg slaps are killing me. And I'm so glad that people are paying attention to the leg slappers. Come on. That's passe too. That's like having these, uh, tope suicidas in every other match and nobody ever wins with it. It's just a spot. It's the same category as a side headlock takeover. It's a spot. It's not new anymore. And for God's sakes, fellas, come on, ladies, whatever, whoever it may be, stop the goddamn leg slapping side, side slapping, ass slapping. Come on. It's embarrassing to me. And I know I'm old school and a crotchety and cranky sometimes, not today, but cranky sometimes, but Jesus Christ, I just don't get it. I quit calling it. I don't, I don't. I don't, I don't, I don't react well to the leg slapping 
enhanced audio. Uh, so that's just me, and I may be wrong, folks. So don't take this for gospel. There's our man, Mean Gene, back in the ring. Yeah, we just saw a terrible clothesline from Carl Malone that Hulk Hogan had to go ahead and sell for. And then the trash came raining in. And then it's something you and I haven't talked a lot about as we see Carl Malone and DDP make their way to the ring. But with Hulk Hogan turning heel back at Bash at the Beach 1996, to show their disapproval and disgust with their hero becoming a bad guy and siding with these outsiders, fans filled the ring with garbage. Just every sort of cup or drink or trash they can they had they could get their hands on, they threw into the ring. And that almost became a thing, you know, for yeah. like 96, 97, <clears throat> 98. And the NWO did it so frequently. I mean, it happened every week on Nitro where fans were just throwing trash. You guys actually had some pretty scary incidences with, uh, with the WWF uh, along the way with fans going too far. Right. Oh yeah. I wasn't for that stuff. Uh, because the deal is, is that you, you always think about things, at least I do in that, in this world as the worst case scenario, what happens if, what happens if uh, Austin gets sick or gets hurt, whatever, blah, 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 that type, you always figure out the worst case scenario. And how, how will we deal with that? What happens if somebody throws something in the ring? And it hits somebody in the face, damages their vision. Oh, well, we're just having fun. We're just fans. We have a right. I bought a ticket. I can do whatever I want. No, you can't. No, you can't. So, uh, uh, it just, I, I, that was not good. And the other thing that they threw a lot, people were dipping snuff or chewing tobacco. Oh, gross. And so they got the goddamn spit juice Ugh. in these cups and they're throwing those in the ring. So how can that, any of that be good? It's not cool. It isn't cool. It never was cool, but it became a little bit of a trend and thank God it, it like many things in wrestling, it came and went. Yeah. Thankfully that one's gone. What'd you think of, uh, DDP teaming with Carl Malone against Hulk Hogan and, um, and, and Dennis Rodman. I mean, as a spectacle, as something to grab the mainstream the timing really couldn't have been any better. I mean, they would even have, you know, an opportunity to promote this on the tonight show, which we know how that's going to work out with Jay Leno becoming involved, but that's a story for another day, but Carl Malone and Dennis Rodman, two of the biggest names in athletics, fresh off of their, their finals, uh, for the NBA championship. This is maybe the best timing ever for, for the use of real celebrities or, or quote a mainstream celebrities. But what did you think of the decision for DDP to give, to be the guy across from Hulk Hogan? It proves once again, that DDP is a, an amazingly gifted, uh, strategist. And, uh, he is a, also very gifted as a self promoter. Uh, the other thing about this and, and the reality of it is that in the match with Hogan, uh, Rodman and the mailman, DDP was the best worker. So he could at least, uh, lead a match be at the right place at the right time to, uh, to overcome the lack of skill in ring skill for wrestling that Malone and Rodman had. So, uh, very, uh, DDP was a very strategic guy. And you know, he's a great, as we see now on social media and his yoga stuff, he does, which he does a great job doing, uh, you know, he's always seemingly at the right place at the right time for his career. So I've said this many times. Uh, he's the best, he's the greatest overachiever 
that I've ever been around in wrestling. For someone with, he, 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 he worked his ass off to become a really good in-ring performer, but it didn't start out that way, you know? And so consequently, uh, he, re, he just kept reinventing and, and making himself better, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, he's a, he's a great self-promoter man. And he, he was the right place. He put himself with Malone, the, the big baby face team. Now they're going through the crowd, this massive crowd in, in the Georgia dome. And by the way, they. You know, Meltzer mentioned the real attendance is 41 and change, but the building held 70. I would not have turned a damn soul away. If you want to come to this event, why they had it configured for this, because apparently they weren't, weren't, weren't totally confident that sell that setup out, but as it worked out, they could have sold a whole lot more tickets. And to me, that's one of the bigger regrets of this situation. See a little promo here from Mongo talking about you know, his days on the gridiron. Let's track this Mongo promo. I'd look at the horsemen. I, they didn't win championships. They went out and took them. Limousine rides, Lear jets, people lining up by the thousands to get their autographs. That is what I like. That's what I want to be a part of. I'm here to talk to you and everybody else out there about where I've been and where I want to go, why I came into the WCW. Do you understand? I got to walk out on that soldier field grass, brother, and my voice is quivering talking about it right now. The adrenaline is starting to flow again. An all-pro, a Super Bowl champion, the top of that profession, baby. What Steve had, he... So we got a, a whole little segment here building up Mongo. We should remind everybody, when he first becomes involved with WCW as a broadcaster on Nitro and then eventually joins the Horsemen, but in this particular era... Rick Flair is still in a bit of a standoff with Eric Bischoff and they even did a story about it the prior day, uh, in the Atlanta papers. So that story is the talk of the locker room on this particular day where Flair was interviewed and he said, Hey, I've been vented on enough. I had to draw a line. So now he's suing WCW and WCW suing him back. And that sort of leaves some of the existing horseman members without really a place to land like Dean Malenko, like Chris Benoit. Like Mongo, and we're trying to sort of build up Mongo here and get a little interview from Mike Dicka to add some legitimacy. And this is something that you have been a big proponent of talking about guys, real athletic backgrounds. And that's probably the, the formula that made the most sense for Mongo, given his success in the NFL, right? Yeah, but the, he was not ready. He was never ready to be in the ring. You know, he was, we've seen, uh, things on social uh, you know, Mongo's, uh, that's our uh, Mongo. What a great Twitter account. Yeah. Uh, it just, I'm trying to turn this goddamn Alexa. What the hell do you want? <laughs> now it's, it's repeating everything I'm saying here. <laughs> Holy shit. Me and my technical lack of expertise. Um, if I had a DVR, it should be flashing 12. Uh, but I don't, but Mongo, the story there is to finish my thought. Steve McMichael was a great athlete. He, he wasn't all pro. He didn't win a super bowl in 1985 and he was a great, uh, college player at Texas. And you don't hear me say that much. He was, but his skill in the ring never quite ever got close to rep to replicating his success on the gridiron. So I like the guys that have those legitimate backgrounds because they fit well in the locker room. They're team guys. They can play through some injuries or bumps and bruises. They're used to that. Uh, and, and they're, and usually they're very competitive. They don't want to be second. They don't want to suck hind teat. 
T-E-A-T. Look it up, kids. Uh, so, uh, but, but Mongo, as a big a personality as he was, was never, uh, he shouldn't, he, he was in the ring in a too high a level. You don't put a guy that can't wrestle to that, to a, to a significant degree in the horseman. And the horseman was another group I thought became watered down, adding this guy, taking this guy away adding this person, it just didn't, it just didn't work. So, uh, anyway, he, I, 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 I have a lot of respect for Steve McMichael as a football player. Uh, and, and of course I'm sure when he started broadcasting Conrad, how many, how many times do you think he went to the studio and practiced? Right. How many times, how many times you get somebody like Tony Schiavone or a Mike Tanay or somebody that had experience, uh, to sit down with him and, and call matches to get him better. I doubt he got the chance to do that. And that's not fair to Mongo. So then all of a sudden he gets put into these, uh, he get in, in these wrestling matches and he's just simply not ready. We see, uh, right now, Scotty Riggs, friend of the show, taking on Scott Putsky, the son of Ivan Putsky. We've talked a little bit about second generation wrestlers and what guys like Eric Watts may have had to go through at different times. And for whatever reason, just never achieved the success that a lot of people would have assumed based on the push and the positioning and, uh, Putsky here, hell of a look came out dressed. I don't know, like a, a pirate. Uh, I don't know, but quite the look and he's in phenomenal shape. He's got the long hair. I mean, he looks like a wrestler. Why didn't, why didn't he hit for you guys or WCW? Do you think same reason? A lot of guys don't hit. They just couldn't connect to the audience. Didn't he didn't have the natural charisma that his dad did. You know, his uncle, Fred Benarski was one of the uh, great kickers in college football history. Uh, and, uh, and of course, uh, as they all called him Joe bed in the locker room, Ivan was, a uh, you know, just a. You know, short guy. I saw him on his card, a card show thing, uh, a couple of years ago. And I didn't even recognize him because he weighed, it seemed like he weighed, he may have weighed less than 200 pounds. You know, I didn't realize he, I couldn't, I couldn't remember. He was like five, eight or five, nine, something like that. So, uh, but I didn't even recognize his dad, but he just did he couldn't step out of that shadow that uh, his dad had established. So just connecting with the audience. I think at the end of the day, that may have been something that, uh, that, that hampered Lex Luger naturally and organically connecting with your audience. The other side of that coin is look at a guy like Austin or rock or undertaker. They found the, the link, uh, to, uh, connect to that audience, the ticket buying public that's buying products and pay-per-views and t-shirts and tickets and so forth and so on. So, uh, but, uh, Scott just never had that. Now the women loved him. But he just didn't have that skill set and that natural charisma. You know, he's getting, uh, Scotty Riggs is dominating this match. It's almost like an enhancement match. And it wasn't, but it looked like that. Yeah. We should, um, <clears throat> we should mention Meltzer's not too kind. He writes, Scott Putsky pinned Scotty Riggs with a form of a power bomb in four minutes and 15 seconds. How come Putsky wasn't arrested, not for using a power bomb, but for impersonating a pro wrestler? Mm. Stiff. Dave Meltzer's stiff today. Oh, <laughs> back then. Yeah. Well, hey, the kid had he he tried. He did. He had he, he always seemed like he had good effort. He just I don't know sometimes that uh, Scott's heart was totally into the profession. I don't know that he, he all these second generation guys that we could talk about that have not, uh, gone on to equal the success of their fathers. 
you wonder sometimes if this is really what they always wanted to be. Right. Or did they say that to make dad proud or because they felt like it was their obligation. Right. Uh, so that, that he, he may have fallen, he may fall into that category, Conrad, quite frankly. Now he gets his comeback. So you, you can always tell, uh, how much body English you see in a comeback, excitement, movement, athleticism. He's begging the crowd to cheer for him and he's using his dad's Polish hammer signal. So that just takes you right back to his, his father. And that might not be the best source of uh, best tactic for him. But nonetheless, his comeback is lasting too long. So you, he had a comeback going, and a lot of guys do this. So then we'll get, we're going to get more, get our second set of heat. He, he started his comeback, and then all of a sudden, now the heel's getting back in the game, Scotty Riggs as the heel. And uh, there's that uh, powerbomb, or powerbomb, as my old broadcast partner, Josh Barnett, you say, a powerbomb variant. So you never take your hand, you never put your hands over your head unless you've been beat to hell on a knee, get your ass up, acknowledge the crowd, stand up tall, stand up proud and see what you get. And it's now you're, he, now he's doing it and he's getting a nice little reaction. I think our, uh, our timing may be off just a little bit. I think I might be slightly ahead of you. I'm seeing a replay brought to us by Snickers here, but we're still, uh, close enough for government work as they like to say here in the South. Conrad, I just hit the, uh. 10 second fast forward thing. I'm back with you. <laughs> I'm a pretty fucking, I'm a pretty fucking brilliant technical guy. I'm an IT Mr. I, I may be Mr. IT in a second life. Let me ask, as you just say that, is your Alexa still running right now? Or did it finally shut up? It shut up. God, oh my. I don't know why I did that. <laughs> I forget. I, I forget. I even have it quite frankly. Oh, by the way, uh, <laughs> we got a few tweets about it. So I, Oh, and here we get a live look at uh, Goldberg in the back headbutting a locker boy. Now that we know what we know about head trauma, that's, that's less than advisable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really. And here we see a package on the Goldberg streak. I'm going to track it here. The ring and put the jackhammer on Hugh Morris in Salt Lake City that this was the beginning of a phenomenal rise to stardom for one Goldberg. And he said right there, that's number one. And by golly, as we begin hour number two, 106 later tonight, if he can make it 107 and 108, Goldberg will do the incredible. And I, I got to talk to you about that. We haven't really touched on it, but this really is the beginning of, or not the beginning, but the culmination of the streak. I mean, we know that the streak is going to come to an end at Starcade later this year with the, the silly cattle prod and the whole deal, but man, the streak with Goldberg really caught fire for WCWO and it's going to be revealed. Let's track it. So the opponent tonight for Goldberg to get ready for Hulk Hogan, that Goldberg has to go through before he gets that title shot is Scott Hall. Scott Hall had been away and you saw, even as he stepped out of limo, he had a drink in his hand and put the drink on the top of the limo. So they're sort of bringing some realism to the, uh, the real life challenges behind the scenes that the quote unquote smart fans are familiar with, but a returning Scott Hall, who is clearly a big star. Uh, he's going to be one Oh seven 
for Goldberg. And if he can complete that one, then Hulk Hogan is next. But the idea of numbering the matches and the victories and this being really a streak before the undertaker streak was a thing at WrestleMania. What'd you think of that? I mean, uh, Bruce has been critical of it over the years saying, well, goddamn, anybody can get over if they never fucking lose, but that's not what wrestling is built on. And Bobby Heenan, I think would be critical and say, Hey, when they beat the streak, WCW was dead. It was the hottest thing we had. And we killed the golden goose. Where do you land on the unbeaten streak of bill Goldberg? Well, it worked. That's all I can say. You know, I, I respect Bruce's opinion, uh, quite frankly, but I don't dis- I, I disagree with him uh, politely. I think that, uh, it worked. It got, it, it brought attention in a positive light to a star that the, who had average skills. Uh, and, and look, I, Bill, I, I fished high school football in Oklahoma when Bill Goldberg was a defensive tackle, the best defensive lineman in the state before he went to Georgia on a full football scholarship. He played high school football at Tulsa Edison high school. So I've known Bill Goldberg his entire, since a teenager. So I got, I, I, I have a, I really have a lot of respect for bill, but bill had average skills and he had a, he had a limited move set. Not, nothing wrong with that because he stayed in his wheelhouse mm-hmm. more often than not. You know what I mean? Conrad, he didn't, he didn't try. You don't see, he didn't see any tope el suicidas from, uh, he wasn't pulling out hurricane runners. He's doing no, power mm-hmm. moves that, that work well with, with what he can do. Yeah. And, and so I didn't have a problem with the, with the streak. It, it's a talking point and it is a common thing, uh, in, in the sports vernacular. So, uh, it streaks, you know, Tom Brady's won six super bowls and numbers are important in sports. Mm-hmm. And I thought they did a good job with that. There's Chris Jericho's bringing, bringing JJ Dillon in the ring. It must be khaki pants night for the administrators. Cause me and Gene's got on khakis. JJ's got on khakis. Let's, uh, and, let's, let's track this. Cause Jericho's doing his best work of his career here. Need to get a couple things straight to start with a little charade that you pulled last Thursday on thunder with a little mini dressed up like Ray Mysterio. That's not going to fly with the executive committee. Jr. No, no, no. You are still going to meet the ultimate dragon here tonight. And you're still going to meet. Uh-oh, hold on here. JJ does not need to be in the middle of this thing. Hey, hold it. You both have been put on written notice that there's to be no physical contact between either of you prior to Bash at the Beach on Sunday. And if either of you makes a move and touches the other, there's, there's, it's, Immediate disqualification from Bass at the Beach. There is no interpretation. Now, you both know that. I expect you to be on your best behavior. Hold on a second, crazy man. So you mean if Dean Malenko touches me after I say your mother wears army boots, then he's suspended? If Dean Malenko touches me if I say you're nothing but a talentless jobber, then he's suspended? If Dean Malenko touches me, if I say, your dad must be real proud of you, and he would probably love to shake your hand, if only he was alive to do so, you're suspended? You realize what he's trying to do? Don't do it. He's trying to bait you. Come on, you're the Iceman. Don't go for this. You got what you want Sunday at Bash at the Beach. Don't let him suck you in. Have you ever stopped to think for one minute, he's not going to go for this? 
and you keep running your mouth and putting your foot in it, you're going to have to face him in a no disqualification match on Sunday. You keep saying what you're saying and going into that match, you're just asking for it. You're right, you're right, you're right. But wait, there's one more thing I want to say, Dean. You and I have a lot in common. I know you don't think so, but you and I are two of a kind. Your father was a pro athlete. My father was a pro athlete. We both grew up without our father's guidance. We both grew up with our fathers on the road, missing him, just as your young daughter misses you while you're on the road, Dean. And think about your dad. Think about how lonely he must have been. Oh, Every man. night in a different city. Every night in a different hotel. He must have craved human companionship. And think about how hard it must have been for your mother. And have you ever wondered why you and your brother look absolutely nothing alike? That's enough. Oh. That's enough. He snapped. What a great little angle. I mean, this is really the first time or this era, uh, I guess for about six or seven months at this point, they've let Jericho sort of do his thing. And 98 is really his breakout year. And it's because of stuff like this. I thought that was really, really well done. And it showed a lot of quote unquote storyline and character for this cruiserweight division, which has previously just been about the in-ring competition. Well, now we've got some meat on the bone. Uh, what'd you think? Liked it. I, I liked it. I, I, I'm a big fan of Jericho and Malenko's work. Dean didn't say a word in that promo and the promo was red hot. Yep. And that's, that's not knocking Dean. It was just his facials, uh, really worked, worked well. And, uh, but yeah, Jericho did great. And look, that was the thing apparent, uh, 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 performances like that Conrad were one of the things that really motivated me to, uh, to recruit and, and try to sign Chris mm -hmm. to, and, uh, you know, that famous meeting at the Bombay bicycle club in Tampa where Jerry Briscoe went with me and, and we had a great chat with Chris about philosophy and, and just wrestling in general life in general. And, uh, then I got him in front of Vince. So it was good stuff there. So I, I, Chris's work at that point in time was as good as anybody on the WCW roster. It's just the fact that he got put in that size category, cruiserweight kiss of death, kiss of death. You know, one time, uh, Sean Waltman said, are you paying me by the pound? Because hmm. <laughs> he was a, uh, you know, a quote unquote cruiserweight. And then we had the brilliant idea in WWE at one time to call them lightweights, even worse. So, uh, next, well, so what's next, uh, in our uh, coming up next, we have a bantamweight matchup between two men that weigh 160. I gotta tell you, I absolutely love Ultimo dragon in this era. Uh, he was one of my favorites to watch, but Meltzer in this era was also doing like breakdowns of, you know, who was drawing ratings, who was hurting and, you know, believe it or not, he would say that, Hey, if you're, uh, if you're Mike Tyson, you're going to go up point or uh, plus 4.6. If you're Randy Savage, it'll be uh, plus 3.6. If you're Roddy Piper, it'll be plus 3.4. So this is how you affect the ratings. And so when I see this full list, I, like a lot of people probably just say, Hey, who's at the top. And then who's at the bottom the person who was worse for ratings in this era was apparently the midnight express with a negative 3.8, but believe it or not, like five or six up there's Ultimo dragon with minus 2.29. And I just would have never guessed that 
Ultimo Dragon was a channel changer. Why do you think that is? I mean, it feels like sometimes there's no rhyme or reason to these ratings, and maybe sometimes we put we give them too much credit. But I don't know. I think the presentation is cool, like his look and his moveset is just phenomenal. That's the deal. Uh, he had a unique look, unique size, but the key thing to me was his innovation. Right. You know, Ultimo Dragon created a lot of move sets and sequences. Uh, that a lot of guys are still using today. So, but he was unique. He was different. Again, those words keep coming up about guys getting over be different. And, uh, and, and, uh, and ultimate dragon was, and he was very skilled and guys love working with him. He was safe, uh, you know, but his work looked very snug and very stiff. And so, uh, and here comes Malenko back. Am I, are you not on the same page yet? Yeah, we are. And Malenko is going to wind up being arrested. I believe for this, uh, even though I don't think they ever explicitly say what the charges are. And I think Meltzer would even be critical of it in the newsletter saying they only did the Malenko arrest because Austin had been arrested a few times and maybe WCW thought, Hey, that's what it takes to get over and rest. Like now you have to arrest a guy. Yeah, I'd notice all the guys come to the ring. Uh, Doug Dillard's wearing jeans and ten- tennis shoes. See, I would not have gone for that. You know, you don't look official. Right. And, I, and I'm not knocking Doug. It's Doug. I mean, Doug is just, no, you know, but his, his, uh, his, uh, Ricky Santana's in there, jeans. Just didn't feel that was, they should have been in, in at least shirt and tie and, about, and a pair of slacks. How about Malenko, uh, Pulling clumps of uh, hair out of Chris Jericho's head there. Yeah. Well, he works snug and there's proof that he did. He does. So Malenko just, and look, Dean's getting more of a, than just a regular old cup of coffee here as he's being handcuffed. Uh, he was, he got some shine and, uh, and he took advantage of it with a great facial expressions. Just a pros. All the, everything's on point. Eyes, face, everything on point. We should mention in 1997, Pro Wrestling Illustrated named him in their PWI 500, the number one best wrestler in the world. And it was a a bit of a shocker because historically they had tried to place the guys who were quote unquote on top. And here we see yet another version of the nitro girls with another costume change. Yeah, man. They, uh, same pants I've noticed. I pay attention to these kind of things, Conrad. <laughs> you for that. And thank God for abs. Something I'll never have in my lifetime. I live in an ab-free world in JR's world. No, you, but, you've had your fair share of abs. They just won't ever attach <laughs> to you. Well, not for very long. <laughs> right. But these guys, uh, now they're advertising a nitro party. Yeah. They, did a, they did a great job marketing these, these ladies. And then all of a sudden it was gone. What do you think of the nitro party idea? Hey, film yourself having a party, watching nitro and send it to us. And we may play it on the show and we might even come bring the party to you. That feels like something Vince would have gone for once upon a time. Well, we did something like that in, uh, with Dr. Death and myself at a fraternity party somewhere in Albany or someplace. Uh, we had done something along those lines. Good idea. Anything that you can utilize to motivate groups of fans to gather and enjoy and party while watching a, a broadcast is a good thing. Right. So no, no issue there. Here comes Johnny Swinger. That'd been your name, Conrad Swinger. 
I've done a great name for you, big boy. What do you think about this outfit he's wearing? Not much. This looks like, uh, if Zach Ryder wanted to do some Shawn Michaels cosplay, this is what he came <laughs> up with. Yeah. It's, uh, it's not, uh, well, it's different. Guy's got a good body. Same old deal. Look at them. They're still wetting their hair. Have you ever wondered why that happens? Every wrestler has to drown their hair with water before a match. And I'm, I'm always, I need an answer for that. And it's the same today. This is back in 1998. So what, what's the, what's the need is it improve their look. Is it more easy to manage? Is it just monkey see monkey do what the hell's going on here? Oh, baby oil and, and wet hair. So not, 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 a, not big on my list. Now I'm, I'm picking up on that. <laughs> this is, uh, this is maybe the pitfall of doing a three hour show. You know, we had, uh, Putsky and Riggs. Now we've got Chavo and a fucking hard hat and he's going to wrestle Johnny Swinger. I mean, just because you can, I don't know necessarily that you should. And, and these are all very capable performers, but they haven't invested a ton of time in their characters. So while the, the in-ring work is, is going to be more than adequate, it yeah. doesn't really leave the fan at home. Like, oh man, I got to watch this. It's right. Chavo yeah. Guerrero. <clears throat> and I'm not saying that to shit on Chavo, but they're not giving him a lot to do. So. There's only so much you can do. Yes. It's great that you're featured on nitro, but if you've got two minutes and there's not really a story, it's pretty hard to get fans invested. Is it not? Yeah. You change the channel because you haven't made an emotional investment in these guys. Uh, and so now Charles Robinson, one of the great referees in our business, Benjamin trying Button. To, yeah. Trying to convince Chavo, you can't wrestle with a hard head on pal. It's, it's absurd. So now we're stalling for absurdities. And, uh, so cooler heads have prevailed here momentarily because reluctantly milked it slow. Here comes the hard head off. Yeah. They didn't, they, these guys didn't have an emotional investment. Chavo has had his hair cut and he's, he's consensitive about his short hair. That's why he brought the scissors to the ring. So now he's, he's trying to lock up with one arm so he can cover his ball spot. It's a cute little story. But it doesn't make me stay in front of my television. Right. And Chavos is very skilled. You know, he's always been very skilled. We Johnny, uh, Johnny Swinger. Whatever happened to Johnny Swinger? That might be a t shirt. He's still around. He uh he did some some indie stuff and did some shots with uh ECW and yeah, he's still around. Good. Let's uh let's talk about what Meltzer wrote in the Observer. I forgot to mention Something he said about Steve McMichael when we were doing that segment earlier, he says, Steve McMichael did a taped interview after the reformation of the four horsemen. Why do they insist on doing this stupid idea? And more so if they do, why do they insist on killing it by using McMichael? Flair has been pretty critical of people saying they didn't like Mongo as a horseman. He said, oh man, he fits, he fits. But I think what Flair meant was drinking, hanging out, you know, exactly. Yeah. He fit after the show. Yes. He fit after the show and, uh, uh, the goddamn Surrey's back. I want to, I, I don't know what I'm doing here. Then Chavo gets a win and thank God it's over. Mercifully it's over. Put me out of my misery. So, uh, but yeah, that was the whole deal. Mongo was fun as hell to hang with. 
right. and to party, party with. And so now not only is Chavo going to have a quick win, have a, have a match with his hard hat. Now he's got a promo. So I got nothing wrong with Chavo's promos. As we said earlier, he just didn't have any steam. He wasn't hot. They didn't get it. The, 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 he didn't get a push. God damn it. And so now he's going to cut, uh, oh, he's going to cut hair. He cut at least an inch. My God. Changes the kid's lifestyle forever. Look at those little pieces, pieces of hair. He's cutting off it means nothing. He could cut that at super clips. Yeah. I mean, he's just, he's really saving Johnny $8 right now. Yep. But no, this is, uh, I don't know what's old is new again. If, if only there was a gimmick in wrestling on TV, where after a win, a guy gave another guy a haircut. <laughs> what's next? A massage <laughs> a facial. What he next is going to take his boots off and give him a pedicure. Has there Conrad, been, do you like pedicures? Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I, uh, I think as a fat guy, you got to do a little hoof maintenance every now and again. So <laughs> I've got a pet egg at the house that I've been rocking during the quarantine, but yeah, once upon a time, I'd, I'd go probably every other month and get some of that dead skin off. Oh man. I'm a, I'm a every two week guy. Really? Oh man. I, I have a, I have people that do this and, and I have a, the people I use and, and they're, they're, uh, very attentive and I, I it makes my feet feel better. I, uh, I've never had a manicure though. I'm going to leave that for Bruce. Here's win number 25. We're going to track this one. I'm only a few months into it. We knew that this man was for real, but we didn't know how far it would go. Win number 25 in Baltimore. Goldberg continues and we'll be back with Nitro after this. It's so fun to think about how there's so many parallels between the WWF and WCW or just how the timelines sort of sync up. We see a backstage shot here of, of Goldberg warming up, but the night Goldberg debuted against Hugh Morris in September of 97 is also the night where cactus Jack debuted in the first Monday night raw from Madison square garden. That's also the show where Steve Austin would stun Vince McMahon and backstage before the show started. Um, Vince would tell Brett that, Hey, I can't afford your contract. You should probably see if WCW can still get you that old offer. That all happened the exact same night that Goldberg debuted on Nitro from Salt Lake City. It's pretty phenomenal when you think about all that his pretty historic stuff happening on the exact same day. Yeah, very ironic. Very, very ironic to say the very least. Big things happened. Significant things happened. And speaking of significant or not, here comes Disco Inferno. Is Disco Inferno like uh one of the more entertaining Twitter follows just because, I mean, he, li- he is a real life heel. He loves to just stir shit up and, and he keeps it stirred pretty regular on Twitter. He said something, uh, uh, the other day, <clears throat> here comes Alex, Wright With his stupid fucking dance. <laughs> God, oh my, the only person I think liked that dance was Jim Barnett, but nonetheless, that's another story. Uh, this dancing thing is everybody's dancing. Goddamn next Dillinger and Tony be doing a duet. They'll be dancing. Uh, disco, uh, I got into it. Not to get into it. I, I, I disagreed with something he said. I can't remember what it was irrelevant now. And he, then he, his response to me, he said, uh, you know, lighten up Jr. I'm a raconteur. So he's a raconteur Conrad. So there you go. That's the answer to everything. Now they're all dancing. Alex, uh, Tokyo Magnum. Yeah. Never heard of him. No I'm kidding. Didn't hear from him long, but there he is. Then they get, they get a nice beauty shot of the upper deck 
That's very impressive. Oh my gosh. What a visual. Yeah. The great crowd shot. The more of those, the better. I mean, they're doing a nice job of picking out their shots. You know, Keith Mitchell was in a truck for that stuff and producing the show did a hell of a job. Look at the fans. By the way, they're making those arm motions because it's the public enemy. Public enemy, man. Somebody, me and you haven't spent a ton of time talking about uh long time journeyman. Of course, this is Rocco Rock and his tag team partner, Johnny Grunge. They got over like Rover in uh I guess the quote unquote bubble of ECW, one of their absolute hottest acts, and it looked like they had opportunities to go to WCW or the WWF. Ultimately they decided to come here. Uh, and then eventually they would pop up very briefly in the WWF. What, uh, what do you think of the public enemy as, as an act and, and the guys behind the act, the guys in real life, we haven't spent a lot of time talking about them. Well, they, they worked hard on their gimmick and, and they, it, the gimmick got over as the baby face thing. They're wearing uh, Atlanta Braves uh, jerseys to get the old, good old hometown pop. Uh, I remember talking to both, the. Uh, these cats regarding coming to WWE and, and, uh, their deal, we we could, we didn't get them hired because we couldn't agree on money and they wanted more than we were willing to pay. Simple as that. And so WCW didn't have any issues with that deal, but, uh, but I I didn't have no issues there. They remind me of the nasty boys in in some, in some areas, uh, you know, that they're always a duo, always together. And, uh, now disco and Alex Wright are going to be, they're, they're the team, the heel team in this deal, you know, and I'll say this for disco. He looked good. He's in good shape. And Alex Wright, of course, uh, uh, had his, uh, his dancing shoes on as usual. And Alex Wright was a good looking kid. I mean, he was a handsome kid, long, uh, athletic. His dad was a wrestler, but he, it's just. It seemed artificial to me. His, his act seemed a little bit artificial. And of course, there's nothing artificial about the public enemy. They're just coming with right hands and, uh, the old classic tag team thing. They take the guy, the opponent back into their own, to the, to their corner and then make a tag and a one, and a little flapjack there, a little midnight express move. So, uh, but they did a good job. You know, they were good guys. They both, you know, you wonder if their lifestyle had been different. If their choices in their private life and uh, personal life have been more judicious, uh, where they would have ended up, hmm. but it just didn't work out that way. Unfortunately, we should mention, uh, Meltzer would write, I hope he's, uh, public enemy beat disco inferno and Alex Wright by DQ in five minutes and four seconds. Tokyo Magnum came out dancing with disco and Alex who actually make a funny mid-level geeky TV tag team. Of course, nobody can have a good match with public enemy. It was awful. Although they did do the one spot to get the big pop when Rocco put Magnum through two tables, Alex and disco then came in with garbage cans and attacked public enemy for the DQ. Why is that a DQ when PE uses garbage cans in almost every one of their matches? Uh, this is another one of those mysteries written by those great fiction writers at the WCW booking committee. Yeah. Common sense was not their long suit at times. Again, the, so Alex is making his comeback, but he's got to stop and dance. Are you shitting me? Alex nine, nine, nine. You're German. No, stop it. So, uh, and here's the other thing about this. Why do you need a DQ finish in this tag match? No, this Why can't you have a winner and a loser Conrad? I don't understand that logic. 
you're, what are you saving? You're saving disco and Alex or something bigger. Right. Really? So uh, that those decisions like that have always puzzled me, not just in WCW. I'm not on a WCW bashing thing, but a lot of promotions do that because if you're not a good booker or you're not a good agent or whatever you're going to be called, you can't come up with a finish that, uh, enhances both teams at the end of the day, then you're not doing your job. Right. And so this is a lazy way out of a five minute match. Yeah. It's fun to go back and watch these shows because I think we, as wrestling fans, sometimes we look back on with rose colored glasses, you know, on the stuff we grew up on and we say, oh, that's, it'll never be as good as that again or whatever. But some of this attitude era stuff, I mean, it really can't be beat. It's phenomenal, but other stuff, well, leaves a little mm-hmm. less to be, dis- you know, I mean, people are critical of the current product is my point. And they say, oh, this sucks. That sucks. It's not as good as it used to be. But then you go back and you watch some of this stuff and you're like, I mean, that was okay, but this piece sucked and that part kind of sucked or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's illogical. Just don't all promotions, including the, the one I work for, we got to continue to try to utilize logic. Right. And not stretch the imagination to the ridiculous bounds. That's not good writing. That's not good writing at all. When you make your audience work that hard to understand what the hell you're doing. And I, I just, oh, we overthink things sometimes. And so here we got the, the big spot that Melcher's talking about, you know, they've got the pop two tables, not one table. We we've already seen one table. Now we see another, now we see two tables. Yeah. What the hell is next? Three, a sofa, a, a recliner, s- a sofa. <laughs> Don't get it. And it's a DQ. Like you said, why makes no sense. Pretty remarkable, you know, what, what they're putting together here. Oh, those goddamn trash cans can kill people. Do not try this at home. Especially when you hit, use a trash can, hit somebody in the shoulder that could tear out a labor. So here we are. The, now that the, we have the DQ, the baby face, make another comeback and it all means nothing, nothing. And everybody's got to keep dancing. There's disco's dancing. Alex is dancing. God almighty. We should mention, um, Juventud Guerrera was married, uh, this past week, which is why he's not here, but Bret Hart's not here for one of the biggest shows of the year because he had agreed to, uh, serve as a celebrity race starter for an auto race in Toronto. So he's got a little PR gig but it's happening on the biggest nitro ever to me. That just feels like the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. I would want to cart Brent Hart out in front of my biggest audience, my biggest gate, right? I'm sure they did. I'm sure they did Conrad. Uh, but if he already had a commitment that they weren't aware of or didn't investigate or to find out, Hey, Brett, are you cool for this, this Monday night? Uh, then shame on the, the administration. They may not have known. They may not have asked. Hell, I don't know. But if a guy's got a commitment and Brett's very loyal to his community, uh, and his country. So, you know, he made a, he kept and Brett's good about keeping his word. He committed to other people because he didn't have a booking at that time. And now here comes the triumphant. This is your, uh, Judy Bagwell in a pole match, uh, 
pr- pr- uh, preference or preamble or whatever. You know, I'll tell you, Buff Bagwell is going to have one of the best promos of his career here in just a moment. Uh, and it is a, a big reaction. You know, he is a, a hometown Atlanta boy and, uh, he's getting quite the reception. This is really a good promo. Let's track it here from Buff. Judy, good to see you, my dear. Welcome. A vast television audience watching on. It wasn't that long ago, Mark Bagwell, when we were all holding our breath. I talked to the doctors. For those of you that know about the spinal column, a C7 and a C4 fracture. It could have meant your life. As a matter of fact, if I recall, you came very close to, to dying, actually, a couple of times in intensive care. Gene, do you have any idea how it feels to come back in your own home city and to be able to say the words, I love Atlanta! Gene, this is the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my entire life. There's no way I can tell you how it feels to be laying on your back and not knowing whether or not you're ever going to be able to come out in front of these great fans ever again. You could have been paralyzed by that tragic accident. Very close. Gene, I almost lost my life twice. There's no way to tell you how that feels. Gene, everybody across the nation kept in such touch with me. I cannot tell you how it feels to know that these people love me just as much as I love them. And God knows I love each and every fan out there. Listen every one of them. Every damn one of them. Are you kidding me? You see the signs out here? Buff, we miss you. Buff will be back. You have got a lot of a lot of support in this house tonight. You've got a lot of support everywhere in America, everywhere in the world. Well, Scott Steiner last week came out, and he wanted to bring me out as his co-star. You know, since this injury, Gene, I tell you, I've had a second look at life. As you can see, I'm not doing too good right now. But just to be able to bring a fork to my mouth is something I cannot believe I can do. Because the feeling I had in that ring, I was never going to be able to move again from the neck down. So Scotty's got to go on with his life, and i got to go on with mine. And it starts with coming out in Atlanta and telling everybody out here how much Buff Daddy loves them. What about this great lady who right now has her right hand on your shoulder? I know, Mark, that, that your mother Judy has been, along with all of your family members, by your side through this entire ordeal. You know what, Gene? If I had the entire three hours of this Nitro tonight to tell you what this lady behind me means to me, we would run over and cost Ted Turner millions of dollars. There's no way I could ever explain to everybody out there how much I love this lady behind me, Judy Bagwell. Well, Mark, I don't know what to make of that episode last week between Scott Steiner and, uh, of course, Eric Bischoff. They said they had some kind of a surprise coming up. Were, were you the surprise that Scott Steiner has in the back of his mind? Well, I'm the surprise that he thought I was going to be, but like I told you, Gene, I'm just thankful to be eating and breathing. Scott Steiner's got his life, and I've got mine. And I'll tell you what, Gene. I'm just happy to be out here again, able to come out and say thanks to the fans and thanks to this wonderful lady behind me. All right, I think, Atlanta, we should give it up for a great competitor, a man that has been through phenomenal adversity. Yes. 
There's one more thing I want to say, Gene, and it's something you may have heard before, but I'm buff and I'm still the stuff. How about that? Man, oh man alive. Judy, I thank you very much. You are a sweetheart. All right. I mean, how good is Okerlund? How good is Okerlund? He made that whole interview, and I know you liked the Bagwell interview, and it was good. It looked repetitive at times, but nonetheless, sure. it was heartfelt, and he, he, he didn't have a script, it seemed like. But uh, Oakland made that interview. Without he got the question. crowd engaged. He incorporated all the points that were that were outlined. So as we look now at uh, Goldberg's 50th consecutive victory. I like this element of here was the first one. Here was the 25th. Here was the 50th. I mean, we're giving you sort of the big win milestones and showing some highlights of him getting win after win uh, all the same way. Spear, jackhammer. That's all she wrote. Yeah. And you don't need any more than that. Uh, earlier I talked about Bill's Limden moose set. That's not a negative. No, you, you know, it's not a negative at all. I think that young wrestlers, a lot of young wrestlers believe that the more things I can do period, the better off my game will be. And it should be the more things I can do really, really well, the better off my game will be not to be a copycat or, or, you know, or to, uh, do something you've already seen on the show. I.e., we've already seen the, the two table things here. That's just not good management in that respect. But Goldberg's moose set worked like a champion. It worked like a champion because he stayed in his role. I tell people all the time, don't do things. You don't, if you don't, you can't do something really well, just don't do them. And the greatest example of that is some people throwing punches, you know, especially if they're leg slappers and throwing punches <laughs> and they slap their leg. Now, how, how big a pop does it make when skin hits skin? Are you shitting me? We're not going to, we think our fans are so stupid. They were going to buy it. It's just weak. It's really weak. And they'll come back now with another on camera. Look at there. Uh, Eric's, uh, or Heenan's there. Yeah. So yeah. Larry Zabisco's out. Heenan is in, uh, I absolutely loved Heenan on nitro. Um, I know a lot of people would say, oh, he wasn't at his best. His best stuff was in the WWF. And I can't really argue that, but I don't, I, I think, um, somebody once made the analogy that, uh, Hey, any pizza is good pizza. Well, I don't know that that's always the case, but a, a little Bobby Heenan is better than no Bobby Heenan. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Hey, I've been, I've, I've been categorized in that same vein of conversation Well, JR's best days are in WWE and, and people have the right to their opinion. And I do appreciate their, them liking my work, but it doesn't mean we still can't do our job today. And I'm not a, I'm not a, a I'm not going to be against, I'm not an ageism guy. That's just not right. It's not fair. Hell. Vin Scully announced Dodger Gainsley until he was 82. Right. I don't plan on working for Tony Condell. I'm 82. I hope to be alive at 82, but nonetheless, uh, you know, don't the old dogs can still hunt sometimes folks. They really can look at Shivani there. Young Tony still got that, that chair jacked up higher than everybody. Yeah. He looks like Andre and I'm with you. I, I wish that Mike Tanay would come back and do some stuff with wrestling. I suspect that, uh, he's just, um, I don't know, maybe a little burnout or disappointed or disillusioned with wrestling after the way his, uh, his run with impact came to an end. Could be. Yeah. Not, not real respectful from what I remember. I always liked Mike. I mean, all the times I was going to Vegas to, uh, 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 you know, to, to do boxing for, uh, CBS and things, you know, Mike and I would go to lunch occasionally and, uh, always really enjoyed Mike. He's a really smart guy. You know, he's the hell of a, he knows so much about sports betting. 
you know, the sports book world. So I always like Mike a lot. I just, and here comes Scott Hall. Yeah. Scott Hall is going to be taking on uh, Goldberg here and remember the stakes. He's got to get through Scott Hall. If Scott Hall ends the streak and Scott Hall wins no title shot, no main event against Hulk Hogan. Toothpick in hand, or it was also a toothpick in mouth. He flipped at the cameraman. So, uh, Scott's coming out milking the baby face entrance. Some old promoters and some old bookers would, would soil the sheets if they saw that, but he was a very charismatic guy, you know, st- the strut and the, the machismo McMahon learned that word and goddamn he wore it out. But razor machismo. machismo. Okay. Nobody else can use machismo, but, uh, it was good to see Scott back there at that point in time. He needed it and the, and they needed him, but sometimes guys that have issues going back on the road and getting back in their group, it's kind of like, uh, ignoring, uh, social distancing. It's not a smart thing to do. And for some guys that have, have issues like Scott has had in his lifetime, getting back with guys that, uh, that perpetuate that is not a great thing. I, I think that when we. Uh, when Scott and left his left WWE the last time, uh, that I, I felt like that we did the right thing. I told him that you being on the road is not a good thing for you and we need to watch out for you. So, you know, just, it's just not going to work. So it's the temptations are too great, but nobody's got a better wrestling mind than Scott Hall. He, I'm really surprised and it's sad Conrad because his previous life and his life experiences has, has not been uh, kind to him in that regard, because there's no reason that Scott Hall should not be involved in somebody's creative. It's just really no reason. So now here comes Goldberg. It's the big pop, all the pyro looks great too, right? No ring jacket, no t-shirt got his uh, MMA gloves on and, uh, looking really good. Billy's a, Billy's a good guy. We have the same agent, the. Erstwhile Barry Bloom. So, uh, I like Bill. And man, has he milked it at the end of his run? Has he got some paydays out of that deal? Uh, Holy yeah. You think? Oh, ooh, good for him. Is there any, has there ever been a guy? And I'm not saying this to be negative because everybody listening to this knows I hate Bill Goldberg, but, um, has there ever been a guy who made more money learning fewer moves? And I'm not saying that to be dismissive. I'm saying. It's fucking pretty smart. I mean, I, I, I remember talking to, uh, an old timer once upon a time and we talked about it, another performer and he said, yeah, some bitch knows 4,000 moves and ain't one of them over. And it just <laughs> tickled me like on, on some level, it's not many, how many moves you can do. It's how many of them can you get over that fans will pay to see. And I understand that. And so Goldberg, goddamn, he made a lot of money learning how to do five moves, six. Yeah. Moves. Something like that. But it works. It worked. And he got over with those moves. He got over running his offense. You know, uh, I remember back in the old days of using a, a, a football analogy that, uh, when teams ran the wishbone, they only had about like four plays, but it, if you executed it, execute your plan, it worked. So always in the early going, you know, everybody's going to put over Goldberg's power and his strength. Uh, and these guys, Goldberg's being led in this match. You're watching folks by Scott Hall. Scott Hall is talking 
he's he's uh, he's 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 communicating in a variety of ways with Goldberg. Slow down, not yet. This type of things. And so this is the it's really important for that. And then of course Goldberg, he learned a back heel trip. And uh, Hall is Scott's a great opponent for Goldberg here. It's much like uh, placing Diamond Dallas Page in that uh, crazy tag team match with the basketball players Malone and and uh, Rodman with Hulk, he could keep the rudder in the water and Scott Hall could always keep the rudder in the water for a greener, less skilled talent, a lack of bill Goldberg, because don't make any mistake. Scott was there to put Goldberg over and, uh, and, and that's what great pros do. It's not a, it's not a disgrace to lose a pro wrestling match for God's sakes. Now that move right there where uh, the, 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 uh, the whip to the ropes was totally out of, out of step, out of rhythm. And because those metal, those ring ropes are so damn stiff, Hall could have broken his ribs right there. It's inadvertently with, uh, with Goldberg. So that's a, but again, now Scott's making sure he slows down. Got his, his, his eyes are wide open and he's communicating with Goldberg. They're, they're having that, the rest of the discussion right now. Man, this crowd is so ready. Just a, just a body slam and they erupt. Well, it's the old thing, man. We talked about it a lot here. When you get over the least things you do seemingly work and Goldberg's look, his expression, his eyes, his body, English, the whole nine yards, uh, certainly, uh, just, you know, uh, just, he, he's just, he got, he was just over it. People could not wait to see what he's going to do. They couldn't wait Conrad to see him win. Yeah. People love winners. You know, you live in a state where it's all about winning football games, yep. whether it's a, you're tied or Auburn or whatever. It's all about wins. And, and the fan base loves their teams because they win. It's human nature. And so, uh, that was the story here with this deal. And uh, I really watching this match. It's a virtuoso performance by Scott Hall on how he's, uh, or structuring this match with Goldberg who kicks out at one, by the way. Another smart move by Bill and Scott missed a kick out of one. Who knows? But it's protecting your, your golden goose. As Heenan says, when the streak ended, it, uh, it took a damper to the, the aura off of Goldberg a little bit. And maybe it's because of the way he lost or whatever. I don't know, but nonetheless, uh, Hall's doing a great job in this match, uh, with scoring basic stuff, hitting Goldberg in the face. So Bill can sell. He can sell the punches. It's not elaborate. It's not Hurricane Rana's, as you mentioned earlier. It's just basic wrestling. And now Goldberg, Goldberg's up with those massive traps look like a road warrior hawk and the facial expressions say, I'm pissed off. Hip lock takeover and a, a kind of an MMA throw, judo throw, quite frankly. And then you see an arm drag. He thinks now Goldberg thinks he's Ricky Steamboat. Those arm drags are not real smooth, but they, they're, they look good. He just overpowered hall and that's pretty damn cool. So now hall going to try to get some more time in this match, which has been called for. He leaves and hall's looking for help. And here he comes. I mean, when you need help, you need Ed Leslie and there's Mike Jones and no, oh, a couple chair shots from DDP and Carl Malone and down they go. And they're doing a great job of of giving the rub to everybody who needs it tonight. Are they not like Goldberg's the hot act? Well, 
who can we brush up against them tonight? Send Carl Malone out there. Sell that pay-per-view that happens in six days. Right. A good booking in that regard. Absolutely. And again, you know, Goldberg is in deep water here. Time-wise, this is not his traditional under five minute, uh, enhanced squash match. Yeah, he's go, he's, he's being taken to a little bit deeper in the water, a little bit more time. And he could not have done that. Speaking of Goldberg with someone with a lesser skill set than Scott Hall. Goldberg, uh, look at the he, crowd, man. He, yeah. They're going crazy. Let's they know they can't wait. electric. I mean, just watching that with the sound on just now, Jim gave me goosebumps. Look at the fans. They're going nuts. Yeah. And you, you, you didn't get that kind of emotion for a Falcons game. I can tell you, he really didn't. Cause I broadcast Falcon games. They, in that first year, 92, when the dome opened, uh, you got some, you got some pop, but nonetheless, they weren't used to it there in Atlanta with this kind of, especially with this kind of event, obviously. Yeah. He was Goldberg so strongly over. And you know, that run really has lasted him. Forever. His, his entire career. Decades. I mean, really think about that. You know, it, and he started to pick up steam, sure, in 1998. But let I me, mean, let's go back to September of 97. And, you know, it goes through, you know, December of this year in 98 with the streak. And that run, 15 months, that's carried him for decades. It's, it's pretty remarkable when you think about it. Yeah. And so we go back and talk again about was the 107 or 100, whatever the streak was. Was it a good, was it good booking? Well, obviously it was good booking because that's what got Goldberg over and he stayed over. That's why he got those massive paydays for his matches in Saudi and places like that. His matches with Brock Lesnar. The fact that Lesnar put him over was pretty damn amazing in that regard. Nobody saw that coming. I sure did. So this streak uh, got Goldberg over and he has stayed over since he's still an attraction. If uh, WWE chooses to use him again, which I don't know why they wouldn't. Uh, then he would be, uh, he's going to still be over and the nitro girls have yet changed into their, another outfit and, uh, dancing in front of Heenan, Shivani and Tanae. Tony Shivani so, is in trouble right now. At this very moment, he's, uh, not thinking about Lois and he's in trouble. <laughs> but remember Conrad Lois rules. Yes, she does. Hey, uh, I'm uh, really been having fun with Tony and these ride along things we do. Oh yeah. Over at adfreeshows.com or we hook up a couple of cameras and just film you guys making a road trip. Yeah. I love it. It's fun. It's, you know, I, I appreciate folks tuning in for that. It's, it's a fun experience and there's no script. We have no idea what we're talking about. Hell, it may be, uh, you know, what's a better burger, water burger or whatever. You know what I mean? Uh, so here comes another filler. filler. One of my favorites from the era without question, uh, such good stuff here. 
He's going to have a match with uh, Hooventude, uh, fresh off his marriage here. We should mention too, that, um, great friend of the show, Mark Madden was coming back to WCW. He's going to be doing play by play when the company tries like an internet pay-per-view, but it's just audio. So this is before you could watch and stream video, but you could stream audio and they're going to do that at the forum out in Los Angeles. Uh, just a handful of days after this, uh, Friday night before the big pay-per-view. So that's kind of, uh, an interesting concept pay per listen, if you will, for a big show. Well, it kind of reminds us what we do. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's selling audio, providing audio. Well, the Hooventude, uh, has a, well, what a baby face look he has. And uh, how many times do you think these cats have wrestled each other? A million. Yeah. <laughs> so it starts off with a lot of spots. You're going to see a lot of spots in this, not a lot of holes, not a lot of uh, submission attempts. Uh, maybe not even enough uh, false finishes. I don't know. seems like we in today's world, we go to the false finishes. There's one there. Uh, but we seem to, if guys think that one or two false finishes is okay, then 10 must be great. And it isn't. We should mention when the ratings come out, because that's what it's all about. We've been talking about that since the start of the show. WCW is going to capture seven of the eight head to head quarters. As a reminder, Nitro's three hours. We get an hour head start on raw raw is only two hours. Uh, but WCW captures seven of the eight head to head quarters to earn a 4.93 rating and an 8.07 share raw gets a 4.0 rating. We should mention the peak rating on raw, believe it or not is a 4.8 and it happens for Val Venus versus Dustin Runnels. And of course that same DX spoof on the nation, but that has a 5.3. Uh, on nitro head to head. So they're doing the wolf pack in the house party, uh, segment there. But the big segment, of course, as you might imagine is the main event with Hulk Hogan and Goldberg. And it does become the highest rated and most watched wrestling match in cable television history to that point. Yeah. Up to that point. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah. The, it's the first one to reach 5 million homes. It drew 5,054,000 homes which Meltzer would say in this era was more than 7 million total viewers. That match gets a 6.91 rating and an 11.8 share, which broke the all time record, which was set back when Hogan beat Randy Savage, uh, in April and the combined audience of both shows, both raw and SmackDown was another all time peak 7,873,000 fans. That's unbelievable. 7.8 million. Uh, yes. That's a uh, product's hot. Like we said earlier, it's never a bad day when our business is hot, no matter what banner they are competing under. Right. Which is why I think all fans are real fans. Just, just support the genre in general. We got enough detractors. We don't know people within our own family, uh, de denigrating a brand or a spot or a talent or whatever. It's, These it's, guys are just, they're just, they're so good. It reminds me of a flare steamboat match. It was almost, uh, seamless. Yeah. And they, they just worked together so much. It was just almost seamless there. And of course you, you, you can't have a match with psychosis and these guys, and here comes the company. 
Uh, yeah, unfortunately, without, without, without going to the top rope, go ahead. The flock is going to beat them up and just ruin the finish of the match. Here. Oh man. What a four fifty! Unbelievable. And, 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 uh, and no DQ. It was actually a 10. Yeah. So Hooventu comes back, uh, from his, uh, shortened honeymoon and just in time to get gang assaulted here by the flock. So we got to get some heat back on the heels. You know, I don't know. I just. Again, obligatory booking. Well, I'll get some heat back. No, you didn't get any heat back. There, there was, there's nothing there. People enjoyed the match. So we go to another Goldberg. Now we're at his 75th win in a row. And I think this is when he wins the uh, U.S. title from Raven. Let's track it. In the process, goes to 75 and 0 as he disposes of Raven with his patented spear. He certainly did, and tonight, he'll try to make it 107. If he does, he'll become world champ tonight. Oh, Tony's all jacked up on Diet Mountain Dew, wasn't he? (laughs) God bless him. And now they're on camera again. Jerry Lawler would have loved this. He loves the on cameras? Well, hell yeah. We all did. First thing the king would look at and look at the sheets. Well, do you know we only had two on cameras? No, I didn't know that. I hadn't looked at it yet. He, no, of course. Yeah. He, you know, we, he's smart, you know, the more on camera time you get, the more, the better your opportunity is to quote unquote, get over even for an announcer. It's he is so, he is so goddamn good. He just, he can sit there and not say anything and it works. Seriously. Facials, body English, the greatest multi-tool talent. I've ever worked with in my career, wrestling, managing, broadcasting, hosting, whatever. It was Bobby Heenan at the top and everybody else is playing for second. Serious business. If Bobby Heenan was still around the day and he had a podcast, would you and I even have a chance? It feels like he'd have every advertiser under the sun and we're just getting leftovers. Well, I know one thing he'd be working with you. Oh, that'd be uh, cool. You're too, you're too damn smart to let that thing pass you by. <laughs> But yeah, it'd be great. Uncensored Bobby Heenan was amazing. You know, another, another deal just reminded me, uh, we're seeing another video here. Uh, the other thing that, that uh, uh, is, uh, Heenan would, we had those, those chocolate cake runs, right? Oh, right. Right. And so now we got people I had, uh, I signed about 200 books yesterday as we're recording this, uh, that you can still get the personalized autograph at jrsbbq.com. Happy to do it. Love your business and thank you. Uh, but uh, uh, a lot of people are, are wanting uh, either the push I mentioned earlier uh, or what I just talked about the, uh, uh, you know, the, what was your talk? The, the, uh, I lost my train of thought there. Oh, you're saying uh, the books, the push and the chocolate cake are the two most yeah, requested. The, yeah, chocolate cake is a big one. So, you know, it's like, you know, two Sam or two DDP. Let's have some chocolate cake or something along those lines. A lot of that chocolate cake thing's kind of caught on. DDP getting back in, on TV. This is second or third time he's been on television tonight. They're promoting the pay-per-view. I get it. He's in the main event. I understand that as well. And the pay-per-view's in six days. Mm-hmm. It's just, they're doing everything they can. You notice these, these images, these videos are, are not of Carl. Malone wrestling because there's no one exposing. Right. 
you know, uh, there's chairs and things that he can execute and do. Uh, so, uh, but not too much wrestling. There's a, he's body slamming Hogan, but things that Carl could do, they, they, they highlighted. So that was smart there to not expose him for the lack of skills that he would naturally have because he's a basketball player, full-time basketball player. It's pretty crazy to think they put all this together. I mean, right on the heels of Jordan and the bulls historic run, but I mean, in the finals, it's not just Jordan and the bulls, it's Carl Malone and John Stockton and the Utah jazz, and they're against each other. And now they're going to be in the ring against each other live on pay-per-view. It's pretty remarkable. And talk about a throwback. Here comes a feel good. Let me up. Hacksaw Jim Duggan with the two by four and, uh, the red, white, and blue over his shoulder. I don't know, man. It doesn't feel like he ever really fit in WCW to me. He'll always be a WWF act to me. And I know you grew up with him working in Texas with Bill Watts, but the Hulk Hogan super friends of the WWF is the way I'll always remember Hulk Hogan. I mean, uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Duggan got uh, categorized or, or pigeonholed into a, as a comedy guy, right? Way too early in his career. If you were in my shoes and had the privilege of living through the era where Jim Duggan was wrestling Ted DiBiase in mid South or Buzz Sawyer, uh, guys like that, uh, you would have saw a whole different deal. He was like a, uh, a, he was like Bruce or Brody 2.0. He was a brawler fighter, all that stuff as he's in a big fight here. No pun intended with big show who was the giant creatively named. And, uh, you notice the size of the giant. He's, uh, he's probably maybe 400, 350, something like he looks great. Yeah. He looks good here. So, uh, and he's, and he's got a lot of hair. He wishes he had that today. So, uh, but Duggan, these kicks are horrible. Uh, there's an Andre spot, Duggan in the corner, big ass bump, vertical, a vertical ass bump, Conrad, much like your sex life. The vertical ass bump. Oh, that's my finishing move. You've been talking to people. <laughs> and Duggan, Duggan was, uh, he was just a great brawler fighter. You believed in him. His promos are real. And then all of a sudden he became this, you know, he was booked to be a more lighthearted. Like you said earlier, let me up guy. And he, but he hello Jim still when the virus is not around, he still travels and does his comedy shows his Q and A's and he's quite the entrepreneur. I think guys from that era, you know, hacksaw, Jim Duggan, million dollar man, Ted DiBiase, Jake, the snake Roberts, those guys were the golden era. And there's a lot of fans, my age, you know, 35, 40 years old who grew up in that era. And anytime those guys go do anything, they're going to, they're going to turn up for them. I mean, I know that firsthand from doing, you know, Starcast and promoting my first conventions and things for the first time, man, million dollar man had as many pre-sales as, as a lot of other quote unquote headliners, you know, not to say that all of these guys once upon a time weren't working main events. I'm just saying you would think, Hey, whatever's the new latest and greatest, that's going to be the big draw. No million dollar man, man, people line up to see him and Jimmy Hart and so many others from that era. It just had such an, it made such an impression. Uh, so Any, anytime times. somebody could take us back to their youth, our youth, yeah. uh, it makes us feel good. Mm -hmm. There's just something about nostalgic that makes us feel good. That's why a lot of, uh, 
networks that are airing repeats of football games that were classic games, national championship, Alabama, Clemson rivalry, things like that are still of interest, uh, because the emotional investment in the two, the teams and all that stuff. So now we've got another post-match interview. So post-match interviews, we've come to realize on this three hour show are not, uh, rare. Everybody seems to get one, at least, uh, uh, the giant, AKA the big show, Paul white, uh, was, uh, you know, he, he got a win. He didn't get, it wasn't a disqualification or something weak, uh, you know, anemic, anemic finishes don't work in my world, but this big, some bitch has got, he had always had great charisma. Look at him. He looks right in the camera and look at his promo. Looks like he's been up for like three days. Hey, when a giant has bags under their eyes, those some bitches are toomies. That's funny. They're, they're expensive and they're big. How about, uh, Kevin green? Yeah. Carolina Panther at the time hall of famer to be sure running in and he's got something for the giant wearing his white shorts and his white shoes. Let's track it. He threw him a bomb that time. Didn't he? So he comes in, spits on the giant, uh, ducks him and then clotheslines him out. Pretty simplistic deal for a mainstream celebrity, but he's a bona fide NFL superstar. And here he is on nitro mixing it up with the giant. Yeah. You wouldn't want him to do anything more Conrad, right. uh, that the one clothesline, nice pop, uh, the giant landed on his feet after going over the top rope and, uh, there's Carl Malone doing the diamond cutter signal. It's pretty cool. There's a late Jim Neidhart coming in. I got, I forgot all these guys were there, man. They had a roster, huge roster. Did they not? Oh, God, huge. Please. Well, I mean, you gotta remember not only do they have nitro, which is now just not two hours, it's three, but they've also got a two hour live thunder and they've also got the weekend syndicated shows and oh yeah, house shows. So yeah, there are, there is a ton of guys on this roster. It's probably way deeper than any wrestling company before. Mm-hmm. I agree. Maybe not now. I mean, a few months ago, the WWE roster was probably the all time high. Don't you imagine between all the kids and developmental and all that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Until the furloughs and the cutbacks and so forth. So now we have, imagine this more TV time for Malone and DDP. This is their 58th segment here on the show. <laughs> yeah. And Malone's walking out there. Like he knows what he's doing. God bless him. So it's DDP and Jim, the Anvil Neidhart. Yeah. Meltzer would write. It's amazing how all of WCW's biggest and baddest wrestlers get made out to be fools in their own sports by guys from other sports. He's referencing the Kevin green giant bit. And I, and I get sometimes, you know, it, it's Meltzer's role to be critical of things. I get that, but I thought that Kevin green giant thing was well done. I mean, it's not like he buried him. He hit him with a fucking clothesline. Yeah. It's, it's exactly what, like I said earlier, it's exactly what Kevin green should have done in that regard. If you're going to get Kevin green, a, a spot and you got plans for him down the road, Kevin green was a better in-ring performer in my view than was uh, Steve McMichael. Again, you get a great athlete. that's highly motivated. Is going to suck the old proverbial hind teat, as we said. And so now Jim, the anvil Neidhart. Is uh, nailing nailing uh, DDP was a very snug 
right hands, meaning that the anvil may be doing the honors tonight. It's pretty crazy to think when we look in the ring that Jim Neidhart nor our referee are still with us. Yeah. Gone, both gone way, way too soon. Ryan Hildebrand was a hell of a referee. I did a lot of work for him in the, uh, uh, Smoky Mountain. Smoke, Smoky Mountain. Yeah. I'm sorry. Smoky Mountain wrestling. What a nice kid. Cancer got him. Could beat that one. One of the lifelong friends of uh, Jim Cornette, right? Yeah. And a lot of people, he, Brian was a very popular guy. People loved him and he just turned his back and talked, say something to Malone while Anvil took advantage, seeing the referee had his head up and struck with a low blow. But of course we all know that DDP has got balls of steel. He may be wearing a cup folks, but nonetheless, he just got grabbed by his mullet. We, we saw a lot of mullets tonight here, Conrad. Mullets and, uh, and, and, uh, and wet hair. I haven't seen any leg slaps of you. No. I mean, leg slaps became a thing with the super kick back in the day, probably with, uh, what Chris Adams. Do you think maybe Chris Adams, Shawn Michaels would do it. Yeah. But he did it once. He didn't do it on just, you know, this thing or the other. So Neidhart gets a full Nelson. DDP with a reverse mule kick to the cods and the diamond cutter, the most cool. over move in wrestling at this point. And it's re shockingly resembles the stunner Goldberg shockingly resembles stone cold. Just saying. So now Malone does what he does best celebrates. I think for what it's worth, they're uh, going to go back through the crowd. Like they did the first time. I like so that touch. second. I like it too, Conrad, but how many times do you like it? Right. You know, it's, uh, now we've got 100. Here we go. Let's track it. And the fans were going wild. Look at this against Conan. Of the Wolfpack. With Hennigan rooted ringside. He picked him up. Disposed of him in Baltimore. Goldberg at 100. As we inch closer. Creep closer, step closer to Goldberg's world title match against the champ Hollywood Hogan here tonight. I got to tell you, I like the, uh, the decision to include the footage of his win at great American bash against Conan, because Conan was, was a bigger star than some of the other guys that they had featured. I mean, I know he beat Raven for the U S title, but being in that Wolfpack group, which is coming out now, I mean, this is the most over group. This is the company. This is the group that's selling all the merch. Of course, it's Kevin Nash. It's Conan or K dog as they called him, Lex Luger. And what I've always affectionately referred to as tomato face sting, <laughs> but, uh, Meltzer would even comment. Wolfpack did another useless interview. Nash did his catchphrase. Conan did his Luger and sting beat sick boy and Kidman in 29 seconds. When Lex would rack sick boy and sting death dropped Kidman and they all went home. It truly is something to see how the guys who are selling 55% of all merchandise in the company have no storyline and get almost no television time. It really is crazy to think about that. They're this over and they're not really figured in, in a major way for the pay-per-view coming up or even on this show. It's just like a, a throwaway segment. So maybe the logo, Conrad, the logo's over yeah. NWO. The gimmick is over. That's what's over. Because now they, if we can see here, this is completely watered down. 
uh, and I say that respectfully to all the guys in the ring, but you know, come on, uh, the, the end of your, the gimmick got over and, and, and the more people that they uh, was booked into the gimmick, the NWO, uh, the less over it became. Right. And they're doing cool promos. Again, it's, it's, it's reinventing the wheel in essence, cause they're doing, uh, they're, they're doing baby face promos that are like a Conan now doing it's a fan interactive thing. That's not a heel promo. And here comes, uh, Billy Kidman, who I always referred to as the greatest overachiever in wrestling because he married Tori Wilson. You know what? I just realized sick boy with his hair like this. He looks like Adam Cole's big brother. Yeah. Yeah, he does. Sick boy. Sick boy, baby. <laughs> Adam Cole's a good kid. I had a lot of time for him. Great, great worker. We had a big Memorial day party in Jacksonville and, uh, sometimes when he's off, he'll come join his wife, which is cool. He's always welcome in our group and it's just a, just a pleasure to be around. And so is she, she's playing her role very well. She's getting better and better. You see her improving her game. By the way, isn't it funny when a couple of, uh, photos surfaced from that party. When fans were just, oh, Adam Cole's at an AEW event. It means he's jumping ship. Why would oh, he do yeah. that? And it's like, <laughs> guys, you know, he's with one of their featured performers in real life. Like that's his life partner. Why in the world would you, it's just crazy to me. Right. I agree. I, it's just the, uh, it's the never ending thirst for something new, something new to talk about something new on the horizon. So Luger does the one thing he did pretty well, the torture rack. Look at the crowd though. I mean, listen, it's easy for us to say, man, there's nothing to this. It's watered down. It sucks. It was only 29 seconds, but holy shit. Silly as it may have been crowds into it. Yeah. But here's the thing. They're heels. They're, they're cast to be villains and villains don't go out of their way to solicit cheers. If you like somebody and you're cheering for them, then then how, how do you, how, how are they villains? Now Goldberg's going to, there's another Goldberg video. Yeah. This time we're highlighting his win over Scott Hall from earlier tonight, mm-hmm. just to show you, Hey, here's one 25, 50, 75, hundred. And now here's his most recent one that solidifies that he gets a title shot tonight against Scott Hall. I've, I've noticed that uh, Goldberg from one to this one that we're seeing here now. He changed his body English. He's improved his facial expressions. He's exuding more charisma. He's more relaxed is uh, young William Goldberg, the former Georgia bulldog defensive tackle. How was he to deal with in the WWF? You know, I mean, I, I'm for probably me. not supposed to talk about current stuff, but Bruce, never, an, me, never an issue for yeah. me. Bruce tells me that, that it's like dealing with two Goldbergs, you know, the, the guy he dealt with once upon a time in the WWF versus his most recent run. When Bruce was up there, delight just couldn't have been better. One of the easiest guys ever. But back in the day, I don't think Bruce really felt that, but you, you had a different opinion. Well, I knew him better. I knew him better than Bruce. Bruce had a business relationship with Goldberg and Goldberg was cautious. He wasn't worldly as far as the pro wrestling world is concerned. He wasn't worldly. So therefore, like a lot of guys, you think stone cold trusted people. Are you kidding? Right. But he, but he got to know everybody. And so then Steve became easier to deal with by and large, there are exceptions to the rule. We all have our bad days, 
But no, I, I had a personal relationship with Goldberg, still do. But it, 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 it's just a matter of communication. Communication. And if you understood the lay of the land, or you didn't know who was what and all this, what was going on, uh, you can understand the apprehension. And also uh, the fact that a lot of guys are in his head. They love to screw with the, the, the young guys that aren't quite, don't have their balance yet, don't have their, their fundamentals down as far as locker room etiquette or uh, interaction with your teammates in this world. So I, I can understand Bruce's point, but I, I had an entirely different relationship with Goldberg from, again, Tulsa Edison all the way over, all the way up. He was a, I talked to him every day at a Falcon practice when I was doing work for the Falcons and WCW. So, uh, you know, we were buddies and so I, I had no issues with him and he would talk to me about stuff like that. He would, sometimes he just needed to understand and that takes patience from administrators and those and others. And, uh, I always have patience for bill. Well, that walk to the, to the ring is, it's like a big fight. It's like a, it's like a football team coming down the tunnel. I like you know, this look. I mean, this is, has a big fight feel. Yeah, I agree. It's about time, right? Yes, it is. It is. Let's uh, let's track it here. To a cranking in here tonight. And you know, Tony, if Hogan is to defeat this man, you know what the NWO is going to be like then with Hogan and Bischoff in charge. There he is. And here comes the eruption. Bigger than before. Hogan. How smart is he? Great bigger stuff. than before. It should not be bigger than before because it's the second time we've seen him in the same environment, getting introduced for a, for a match. But Heenan wanted to protect Goldberg by saying this pop is bigger than before. And so most of us would buy that. It's good enough for me. In the WCW, and he represents every wrestler who wanted just to walk in here. Goldberg and selling that to Pyro is like going on a car trip with my buddy Rob Van Dam. <laughs> it's, it's always 420 somewhere. My goodness. The idea of you hotboxing with Rob Van Dam down the highway cracks me up. Well, uh, I don't remember ever doing that, but I was going for comedy. But nonetheless, it could happen. Sure. Not too, it's not too late. Well, uh, Charles Robinson with his Ric Flair hair. God bless him. Little rascal. He's assigned this important contest before 41,000. We get the challenger to the ring. We take a commercial break cause, uh, ain't nobody going nowhere. Yeah. Nobody's going to miss this man. Main event coming up. Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Let's track a little bit of this. Hey fans. The two athletes, there's a measure of uncertainty, butterflies, and I know because we have them up here. Oh, do we ever. You can just, you, you've been able to feel the excitement, the electricity, the intensity of the night. And look at this man. Go ahead, buddy. Oh, right. walk down in segment one. Goldberg's spot. Walk down in segment one. What do you think of this show so far, Jim? It's your first time seeing Nitro, one of the biggest Nitros ever. What do you think? Uh, it's, it's a fun show to watch for me for the first time. I will never watch it again. Sure. 
Uh, it's three hours long. That's for with commercials involved in a three hour show. It's a different deal. Folks to say, well, those pay-per-views are three hours. They don't have commercials. It's there's, you can flow. And when you got commercials, you got to stop and start and stop and start. So, uh, I, I three hours is, is too long for me. I don't have the attention span any longer. I don't know if I ever did, but uh, they've done a hell of a job building up to this match by the videos, the interviews, the promo, all the stuff. So it's been a nicely done. It's just too much. And if you gave me a quiz on what we saw earlier in some like Hooventude and, and so forth, I'd be challenged to, to remember it because none of that stuff, it, it had no meaning. They weren't over. It's just filler. It's filler to get us here where we are right now. But I'll say this Hogan's taking it seriously. Yes, he is. He's moving, he's moving around like a champion. He's preparing for battle. I appreciate that. Uh, and of course, uh, Goldberg is just, he's an animal. He's a beast looking for something to eat. A carnivore personified. Meltzer would write, can be debated whether at this stage of the game, putting the title on Goldberg was premature and a panicked reaction to being drubbed in the ratings the previous week. What can't be debated is that the lesson learned from the flop that was sting was learned from. And once the decision was made to do it, that this is the right time. And it was done right. The 31 year old Goldberg, less than 10 months after making his televised debut last September 22nd in Salt Lake city was given the WCW title by Hulk Hogan before the largest crowd in the history of the company the fourth largest crowd for pro wrestling ever in the U S on July 6th at the Georgia dome and garnering without question, one of the biggest pops in the history of the business WCW built the television around Goldberg from start to finish showing clips of him warming up throughout the show. And man, he's just really sort of high-fiving the, the way it turned out, but maybe perhaps wondering, should they have left it for pay-per-view if this were your company? You know, knowing that you did Starcade the prior year and did seven million on pay-per-view, there's probably no reason to think you couldn't do something close to that with this match. But instead, we're doing it on TV. If it were you, and you were Eric Bischoff, and you're working for Turner, would you have campaigned to save this for a pay-per-view, or is this the right time, right place? I would have campaigned for the pay-per-view, but not uh, not vociferously. Yeah, I noticed while the, on the lockup while ago, Hogan right now is still talking to Goldberg. Yeah, Hogan is talking Goldberg entire this this entire match, reminiscent of what we saw earlier from the ring generalship of Scott Hall. They're taking care of Goldberg, and of course, uh, that's a that's a good that's a cool thing, a smart thing. Uh, cheers to Hogan for that. But he's leading the way. He's leading the dance, and, and quite frankly, it's not unusual that the heel uh, lead a match. That's kind of the traditional thing. That's what made Flair so great. He called his own plays. You know, he didn't have somebody say, okay, headlock me, you know, drop down, leapfrog, drop kick, nothing. He, that was his deal. He did. He called the plays. That's what, that's what helped make Rick great. But uh, now Goldberg is uh, using his strength and the old proverbial Greco Roman knuckle lock Conrad. Yeah, it's uh, remarkable. But the bottom line is going to say, I'll answer your question. I'd lobby for pay-per-view, not that hard knowing that the upper management wanted ratings and they got ratings on the show. They got a huge audience success. They, you know, Bischoff and company win in that regard. They got what their the people writing their checks wanted ratings, eyeballs. And I don't think it was too early for the title on Goldberg. My God, he'd won a hundred and something matches in a row. 
And yes, it would have worked on pay-per-view. Nobody's going to debate that point. But when you work for a television company that makes its living on ratings, uh, that's what you do. The only thing negative I saw there with Hogan was that he, the, the back rake, which is, I think, wasted motion. And now he's using his weight belt to split the hell out of. He's whipping Goldberg Conrad a goddamn government mule. <laughs> and now Goldberg has taken the weapon away, the weight belt. And instead of using it on Hogan as a, tr- as, as a baby face, he discarded it because I don't need no goddamn weight belt to beat your ass. But if we look at this, the facials of Goldberg over time, as I pointed out earlier about the, uh, how he's improved his, his game, his face, you know, say, well, he's still did the same moves. Yes. Einstein, he did this. He does the same moves and he does what he does. He does well. And they're all over when that son of a bitch hits a spear, you know, what's next and you know, it's over. So Hogan makes sure that Goldberg knows how to put a, apply a full Nelson and, uh, in the back mule kick was the second time we've seen that tonight, a lot of duplicity. So Hogan, Hey, I, I call some matches years ago. Lawler and I called some matches back in the day for, uh, old, old stuff that needed revoiced with, and Hogan was a heel with Freddie Blassie. He was a hell of a good heel back in those days. He really was. And I know people are oh my God, JR's kissing Hogan's ass. I'm just telling you what I saw. He was a different Hogan. And he had a match with babyface Bob Backlund that was just damn near, it was just great. This crowd is just waiting. They're waiting for a, they're waiting for a spear. And then they know what's next. Hogan's trying to drop those elbows and, and he's, he's a tell, telling Goldberg to move. He does. That's one right there. That clothesline we just saw moments ago is why Goldberg was not a clothesline heavy guy. He did do great clotheslines because I think he was a little bit leery of tearing something. Pecs or something like that. A lot of guys have issues with that. So Hogan now is, uh, trying to contemplate what his next move will be. He's taking a walk. We saw Scott Hall do this exact same thing. Slow it down. Let Goldberg regather, figure out where he is in the match, figure out what we have left as Hogan puts his uh, weight belt back on. I'll say this for Hogan. It, 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 I don't know how old he was here, Conrad in 19, uh, ni- in 1998, <clears throat> excuse me, but, uh, he looks great. Yes, he does. And, and by the way, this is a home run. Uh, Meltzer's going to write. Not that the match and the show didn't work. It couldn't have worked better. Having seen most of the really momentous pops of this generation from flair beating race at the first arcade to Hogan beating iron Sheik to win the title to the Rigeaux beating the Garvins in a loser leaves town match in Montreal to Masawa's win, uh, over at jumbo Saruta at Budokan hall and Kerry von Eric and stings first title win over flair. This blew almost all of them out of the water. Sure. There was more choreographed modern technology. Nobody piped carry chance into the Texas stadium to jumpstart the crowd. So it would look good on television. But even so this reaction was still amazing. It was Goldberg's night in the building. It was more than a weekly TV show and more than most pay-per-view shows. It was perhaps with the exception of WrestleMania, the event in the U S pro wrestling scene for the year. And the anticipation and excitement was every bit the level of the Hogan Andre series. I mean, really big praise. And deserved objective and deserved. And so now Hogan drops the big leg. I think I said one time in WrestleMania 18, he beat Andre with that move yeah. against the rock. 
And so he's going to go for a second leg drop because one against Goldberg certainly isn't enough. So he's got one. And then here comes Kurt for a little help. Yeah. uh, And this is the watering down process. And I love Kurt Henning, but man, this match is going so well. So now here come the, uh, backup for Hogan and Goldberg just kicked out of two leg drops and we missed it. And there's no crowd pop for him kicking out of a leg drop because we're looking at DDP and Rodman. Yeah. And, and, uh, here we go. uh, Let's track it. How excited is Bobby Heenan on this call? He's brilliant. He's brilliant. Your career's on the line here. Do it. Do it. This place only left when he picks him up. He's got him up. and have a record of 107, 108. Who cares? There's zero on the other side. We've got a new champion. Man, what a call. Yeah, boy, this is so easy. I'm getting chills listening to Bobby. You know, I got goosebumps. Me too, man. I just love that. That's why I love the business so much for moments like that. I had no dog in the hunt, but I'm a fan. And as a fan, you love those special moments. And this show was a very special moment, a three hour moment, but a special moment. Nonetheless, uh, hats off to all involved. You know, it was just, look, it's a three hour show. What the hell you do, right? But man, the crowd shots are amazing. The packages are amazing. The build up to the last match and the beauty shot there with the Goldberg holding up two titles is pretty damn impressive and memorable. Such good stuff. The crowd didn't want to leave. They were loving this feeling, this emotion. It's like when your team wins the biggest game of the year, you don't want to go to your car. You want to stay there and soak it all in. And these fans at 40,000 plus just didn't want to leave. You don't see people rushing to the turn, rushing for the exits. No, they're still standing. They just want to bask in it. And and what a moment it is. You see, uh, him posing here with the world title and the U S title and I know sometimes fans poke fun at this whenever I point it out, but to me, the parallel between Goldberg and the ultimate warrior, never closer than right here. You know, you think back to WrestleMania six mm-hmm. warrior comes in with the intercontinental title. Hogan passes the torch. It's in a dome, huge moment. And afterwards, warrior holds both belts up with a limited move set, but over like Rover from his, yeah. yep. his entrance and his handful of moves and fans were just into it, man. And sort of the same thing here for Goldberg at the Georgia dome. We got a lot of interesting feedback on the, uh, ultimate warrior, uh, podcast we did grill on here on grill and Jr. I was very, uh, interesting to see. And look, some, a lot of, some people didn't like it. Yeah. So there were, there were like you, they're ultimate warrior fans from a childhood. And, uh, you know, I think we, we tried to be fair with it, but you know, how would you know how he was in real life unless you knew him? Well, there he is. Goldberg is now top of the heap. And, uh, on the other channel, of course, stone cold is still running roughshod with Mr. McMahon. And it's a great time to uh, be a wrestling fan. Great time to be in the business. And what a visual as the show goes off the air here, the most watched wrestling match in cable history up to that point. And, uh, even though you had never seen it before, it makes sense. Why doesn't it? 
Yeah, absolutely. A really good job by both guys. And, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm a Goldberg fan, Goldberg friend, but my hat is really off to, uh, Hulk Hogan. He, he, he made that match happen and, and happen as far as how it turned out and made it work. So a lot of respect for Hogan on that, that scenario, he did the right thing and he made Goldberg look much better than Billy actually was at that point in his career. Well, and next week we're going to take a look at another physical specimen who, uh, would go on to become world champion, but a, a much different story, Bobby Lashley. What do you think we'll expect to hear next week on the show here, Jim? A missed opportunity, great talent. Uh, uh, I, 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 I've got stories to share about Bobby. I, I, I like Bobby. I'm glad Bobby's still in the game. Uh, good guy. You know, uh, I think Jerry Briscoe started talking to Bobby. Uh, I believe Bobby was still in the army, but he had made an inquiry or, you know, he was a great amateur. It was Lashley in a small college. He didn't get all the fanfare that D D one guys got, but, uh, I'm a big Lashley fan. I think the WWE could, you could do a worse job. Uh, and I like Drew McIntyre a lot, but they could do it. If, if the time comes for Bobby Lashley to be a champion there, it ain't going to be a bad move. So it'll be a fun show to talk about because really nobody's done a lot of stuff of this nature on Bobby Lashley. He's very timely. He's very topical and, uh, what a phenomenal athlete. He has been saddled with some bad creative, but you go back to 2007, Conrad, he was in the main event, WrestleMania. 13 years ago, he headlined WrestleMania mm. and that Trump thing, the hair versus hair business. So, uh, he was, uh, and, but here, there, even he was overshadowed. He and Umaga were overshadowed by Vince and Donald Trump and this referee named stone cold. Lots so we'll talk, unpack. we'll talk about the creative creative has not been Bobby Lashley's best friend. We'll explain that more next time. Don't miss it next week, right here on Westwood one. It's grilling Jr. with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross, heavy on the Mr. And don't forget, you can get all these shows early and ad free over at adfreeshows.com. If you've got a question for us, don't hesitate. It's over at Jr. grilling on Twitter. He is at Jr's BBQ. I am at, Hey, Hey, it's Conrad. And we are out of time. And we hope if you're looking for more great Jr. content, you'll go pick up the brand new book under the black hat, get it personalized. And go ahead and throw some sauce in your box too, over at jrsbbq.com. And, uh, a lot of folks are grilling this time of year, Jim, you got any, uh, grill pointers for us. I mean, I've been firing up the big green egg. I know you're rocking the gas, but one thing we have in common is your all purpose seasoning. Well, it tastes good on just about everything. Doesn't it? It sure does. Yeah, man. It's good stuff. I, I appreciate everybody's support. What we're doing, we're building a fan base of our products and we're getting a lot of repeat buyers. You don't buy stuff even from somebody you think you like, uh, online, unless, uh, you don't buy it again, unless it's good. And we're getting a lot of repeat business, which I'm very grateful. So jrsbbq.com, you can get the book, you can get the, the product. And one of our, our two hidden gems have been, uh, our beef jerky, which is made per order. It's not sitting in a box somewhere for a month. And, uh, it's made here in Oklahoma with eye of round. It's good stuff. And our mustard. The mustard has got a fan base. So JR's mustard is over. That might be a t-shirt. Well, and our podcast (laughs) is over until next week. Don't you dare miss it. It's grilling JR with the voice of wrestling. Mr. Jim Rose. 
John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on, right? How many yards do you think you're gonna pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra five to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.